0: Haley Ramsey is an archaeologist, an author, a global explorer, and we sit down and talk about her brand new book, The Bringers of Life, The Cosmic History of the Divine Feminine, as well as all of her archaeological experiences or time all over the planet, her connection to the divine feminine, Freemasonry, the Knights Templar, the goddess lore, ancient megalithic sites, and everything in between. We had a really great time. This is the first time we actually talked and it's not going to be the last. So thanks again um, for doing this. This is awesome. I appreciate you taking time out to uh, talk with me. I'm just a dude. Yeah. So, um, Thank
1: you for having me.
0: Yeah, t- totally. Totally. Um, so, let's talk about you. This book, that I mean, I don't know how I stumbled upon you. I, I don't know if I was being creepy and weird, and, and I found something with Scott Walter, and I saw you, and I was like, hey, who's this? And then I Googled your name, and then I saw the, the cover of your book, and I was like, holy crap. Like, everything that I've been researching for the past few years, and then forever, really, <laughs> it all came together, like, on the cover of your book, and, I'm, and we're going to show it here, but it's like... Wow. Like who did that cover art? Did you do that? I mean, it's amazing. Whoever, it's awesome.
1: You know, I, I can write, but I can't, I can't, I'm not, I don't have any artistic talent whatsoever aside from <laughs> writing. So I actually contacted me on Upwork and I kind of told them what I wanted and I sent them some sample pictures and I said, here's this, here's this, throw it all on a cover and make it look good. And so they did a really good job of that.
0: So. Yeah. Super red. It's just awesome. I mean, just everything in there. I mean, first of all, since I'm a Freemason, I see the square and compass and I'm like, Oh wow. I see the number 13. I mean, obviously I see the lady, you know, the mother, the goddess. Uh, then I see a Templar ship <laughs> and I'm like, Oh my God, why, how is this any, can this get any more amazing? You know, like, uh, you know, and then I'm like, I got to read this book and I'm like, I got to find this book. I got to find it. I got to find it. Then I found you on Twitter and I'm hitting you up in your DMs and I'm like, Hey, where can I buy your book? And you're like, it's almost done. <laughs>
1: yeah. yep much going on and i had other things going on i actually did travel a lot during the pandemic i probably saw more of this country in the last year than i've ever seen in my entire existence cool which has kind of been a blessing and i had actually gotten a job where i was doing freelance writing and i was able to do that and work from anywhere nice so that you know that was just a bonus so i could just travel and work and yeah, it was great, and you know the, the cover of my book obviously has all of the elements of you know what is inside the book and the content of the book and what it boils down to, and that's all um, going back to the sacred feminine and the connections that you know the sacred feminine has throughout history and society.
0: Yeah, it's amazing, and and how did you get interested in that? I mean, to, to begin with, I mean your your bi- your background's uh, archaeo- uh, archaeology, right? Am I or am I am I wrong? Is it?
1: Yes, that's what I've been studying is archaeology in school, yes.
0: Okay, cool, cool. So you're you you have not graduated yet, you're on your way there, you're almost done. I
1: have not, yes. I have one more year and then I will be an archaeologist with a degree.
0: Yay. That's cool. Don't 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 um don't give up. I mean it, I was I was twenty twenty eight when I went back to college and I was like the old guy, right? So <laughs> when I was in college everybody was like nineteen yeah. and I was a I was a guy getting asked to buy beer all the time, right? So, you know, if I did it anybody can do it, I can tell you that. I mean <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. And the other thing that I do is actually tours, and I give tours overseas. And I had just started up a tour company prior to the pandemic starting. Literally in November of 2019, I had gone to Scotland, was in the process of moving there and getting set up. You know, I kind of just started doing day tours of people that, you know, to- people that were visiting. And I was staying actually at Dalhousie Castle, wow. which is the home of Clancy. And they had, you know, basically agreed to put me up for a few months. And we worked out a deal where when people would, you know, check in during the daytime they had the the option to book tours for you know their stay with me which was really great so every day i'd run down and check my diary and see if i had tours to do and that was kind of a great start and a great way to feel out the business over there and it just immediately took off and i was actually giving tours to sites associated with the knights templar and the grail legends roslet of course you know that kind of thing And everybody loves the Da Vinci Code. They just ate that up. And so it was really cool to actually take people to the places they filmed, but actually, you know, the research and the strong historic ties that Rosalind has with the Templars and Freemasons and the Royal Bloodline, it's incredible. And so that was just really fun. And it was really unique because no one else that I know of in Scotland has been doing Grail tours. I've seen over in France, I actually went on a few tours with some awesome researchers over there, but not in Scotland. So that was kind of fun and different. And that's kind of what I'm working on getting back to now, hoping to go back this summer, maybe early fall.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So my wife is a huge fan of uh, Outlander, the TV show, the series Uh, and the books.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So actually I'm a, you know, the other thing that I really am fascinated with is Jacobite history. So I'm actually working on an Outlander package that we're going to be visiting all of the sites that they filmed at for Outlander. And let me tell you, it's some, really cool places and i visited some of the film sites like the site where claire goes through the stones yeah and that it it was amazing to me because that site they picked was so desolate i was driving out there and this was in last year in february when i get out there it's just all country in the highlands and this road is so narrow and what's paved is pretty rough and covered in ice and there's just (laughs) you know random wild animals just walking across the, (laughs) the road So it was pretty. It was. I I got out there and actually ran into the farmer who gave me a ride back down to my car when I hiked out to the site because it's private property. But the fun thing in Scotland is there's no such thing as trespassing. Really. So once. property, you can go wherever you want. You know, there's no such thing as trespassing. So I got out to the film site and it starts snowing really bad. And I start walking back to my car and there's all these sheep running around and uh, the farmer comes up and I said, oh, hi, you know, and he asked me, you know, what I was doing. And I told him I was visiting and he goes, oh, I, you know, he starts talking about the site. And I said, how did they even find this location to film? Yeah. He said to me, he said, oh, well, they send scouts out all over Scotland and drive these back roads and, I thought well,
0: that that sounds like a fun job to Yeah. Have. Totally. Let me just <laughs> randomly play. get lost in So was there actually those stones there? Are they there in that formation yeah. from the show? Okay.
1: They are not. They are actually the, the stones are made out of styrofoam and cardboard and they're <laughs> painted. And they they actually took the the model of the stone circle from I think the uh, the Calendar Stone Circle, I believe, but it okay. was it was modeled after another famous Stone Circle in Scotland. Nice. But yeah, you would think they look they look completely real. You get out there and the site itself was an Iron Age ring fort. Wow. So there is history going back to like a thousand BC or so.
0: Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I was just, yeah, I, t- I told my wife that and she's like, oh my God. And it's like, she's usually about me doing this stuff. She's like, oh, you got to go down there and you got to talk to somebody again. And I'm like, look, you know what? Haley does this thing in Scotland where she's like, okay, I'm game. <laughs> she's like, go talk to her. Go figure it out. Yeah. I want to, I want to go. I'm like, okay, cool. Maybe I'll put in a good word. Maybe we can go over there. Um, I've just been recently doing some genealogy and I found out I have some ancestry in Scotland, it actually, goes way back in Ireland as well. And that whole area, so interest. Totally interested to see how that goes um, for me. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. It's always seems like a magical, mystical kind of place, and I've always wanted to it, go. It really
1: is. You have to go, and you should definitely come on one of my tours. I'm got to go you on know, tour. I think you really. Yes, you guys both have to come. You can come do a you know night Templar tour and the Outlander tour if you want. But yeah. it's it's a fantastic. Place and I'm curious. Obviously, I, my name's Ramsey, so my yeah. family goes back to Clancy. I also have ties to the St. Clairs, the Ramseys, and the St. Clairs were only a few miles apart, and there is tons of intermarriage there. Right, uh, and the Stewarts. Mary Queen of Scots is actually my like tenth cousin wow. back. 10th, yeah, she 10 generations back, she was my first cousin, I believe. That's so awesome. So, what are your ties?
0: Well, I I'm, I'm just got into it. I just actually, a few weeks ago, sent in my DNA. So, I was like, I got really far up, and then I was like, I want to just see what happens. You know, at first, I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to give somebody my DNA, but I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'm already on 400 lists. They already know where I am, and they're listening to me all the time <laughs> anyway. Give them my DNA. Yeah. Why not just give them my DNA? But, um, yeah, so um, Donahue, and it goes back to, um, uh, oh, gee, so, um, well, this guy. Uh, It's funny. There's this um, Banks, 1849, came to America. This is my great, 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 great grandpa.
1: Oh, how cool.
0: Yeah, this picture was taken in the 1800s or something like that. I mean, obviously, it's a copy, but this guy died in 1877. And I'm thinking, well, that's kind of cool then. I mean, but yeah, so Banks and Donahue and... um, Um, Reinders, and there's a bunch of German that's mixed in there too. And somehow it goes into Scotland and and it gets kind of weavy in there. That's when it, but Banks, I think, came from that side. And then, and then the Irish side as well. So I'm still trying to sort it all out. It's a big kind of tangled web, especially the way records are. It's a lot of, um, of, um, uh, church records, obviously, for the time that were kept. So. Trying to dig that mm-hmm. all out and uh, trying to figure it out, but yeah, once I found that out, I was just like, wow, you know, Majorowski, my dad's Polish forever, and that's just the way that goes. But my mom's side is that whole cool Irish, Scottish, uh, you know, German fun stuff over there. <laughs> so excited to well,
1: been over there. i not or Scotland. I have no? not. I
0: have not. I've always I've always like been like eh, you know. um But before with Poland, my wife was always like, let's go to Poland. I'm like, my. You know, my dad told me that they, because I'm like the third generation from my dad's side in America. And he's like, they fought for everything they could to get out of Poland to come here. I'm like, why do I want to go back? To, <laughs> like, they did everything they could yeah. to get here. I'm like, I want to go right back. Like, I don't know. They had a reason to come here. It's probably not that cool. <laughs> That's my two cents. I don't know. But yeah, I would definitely want to check that out. So I'm I'm going to take you up on it next time. That uh, I'm totally going to hit you up and we're going to do the tour because there's so much Masonic history there too. I mean, the Scottish right. All of that stuff, obviously, obviously, kind of started all off there, you know. Um, well,
1: lodge Zero is, I believe, over on the western coast.
0: Yeah, and, and it's still standing, I think, from what I understand. The actual physical building is still there from where they met, and uh, I can't remember the year, so um yeah i'm really pumped to see that I, I really like to go check that out but um you know i was hoping that uh, you know all of the because i fell into outlander at first i was like i don't know if i want to watch a show my wife was like no you gotta watch it because i fell into history and then fell
2: into outlander. Yeah,
0: i fell into outlander i can't believe it. I'm, I'm i'm gonna say it i don't care i did and then she started you know she read all the books as well and then she told me the book says you know the characters are actually freemasons you know there's some freemasonry in the books as well like jamie, jamie the main character yes. you know he's a freemason and right you know, and there's um, some other stuff in there. I think I can't remember if, you know, his uh, godfather, I think is, um, and I can't remember that guy's name. Uh, but yeah, and they kind of was in prison. And, you know, they were masons, and they kind of met up and had like their own lodge in prison and stuff. And so it was pretty cool. Because, you know, we're, she's reading, I'm like, okay, fine. Now I have to figure this out. <laughs> I'll watch it now.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> It's not just some yeah, hokey no, dude actually, you want to watch. Talk
1: about it. In the show, they don't really talk about it as much as they do in the books.
0: Not so at it's all. It's kind of
1: a shame because Get into that, and like they, when they're in America, you know, they, they they tell Jamie, Hey, there's another Freemason here we want you to meet, and it ends up being George Washington,
0: yeah. And that's it, though. It's just like, Oh, hey, Jamie's a Freemason. No, that's how you introduce it that George Washington's here, okay? Cool, hey, brother, yeah. <laughs> there could have been so many plot lines and twists to that whole thing, but no, totally sorry, we're on a crazy sidetrack, but this is all relative, yeah. man. I, I, you know, that you graciously sent me like the first hundred pages of your book. I read it twice because I loved every second of it. Thank you so much.
2: Oh, I'm so glad.
0: It's so awesome. There's so many cool things. How did you, how did you start on the Divine Feminine? How did you figure this out? How did you go like this is something and oh my god, I want to write about this?
1: Well, I have to say, I think that you know, going back, I, I was raised Episcopal and Catholic, yeah. and I never really I had too many questions about the religion. And every time I would go to the priest, he would just tell me, "Well, you can't question it. You just have to have faith." <laughs> And I just, there's so many questions I had about creation. And I I was like a five-year-old going to the priest saying, well, if if God just existed, who created God? And I always thought it didn't make sense that God existed. There had to be some kind of feminine, you know, source of birth in the universe, in the cosmos. Right, right, right. right. feminine, i in you know, force or just some kind of energetical force. Um, you know, I, I just thought it was really intriguing my whole life that everybody just believed God just popped into existence someday. And he definitely, that, that's never happened in the history of ever, like, and neither has a virgin birth ever been witnessed, you know? So I, there's just so many things that didn't make sense for me that I wanted to dive deeper into it. And when I did, I had started doing this research into the Knights Templar. Actually, I started my senior year of high school. And I was really bored and I had all these blow off classes because my school did this thing where they used to let kids leave early that had, you know, finished their school earlier in the day. I had all my main classes at the beginning, but then in the afternoon, uh, people usually could just leave. But like the year I was a senior, they did that. So, of course, Uh... I'm stuck in there in these blow off classes literally doing nothing. So I started watching documentaries on History Channel for fun, you know, when I was in these classes. And I came across Knights Templar documentaries and then the Grail legends. And I thought, what is this? And the more I learned about the, the legend of the Grail and the Holy Bloodline, I started going back into it and I just couldn't stop. It was just I was so hungry for more. And at the root of it all was the goddess, the sacred feminine. She was what was being protected. She was what was being veiled. And, you know, for for her own reasons. And today's a great day to be talking about this since it's Mother's Day. You know, it is Mother's Day. So, I mean, it just was so fascinating to me that, especially the Templars, at at the heart of Templarism, their reverence was not for Jesus, and it wasn't really, I mean, it was kind of for John the Baptist, you know, they they did respect John the Baptist, and they usually, they had the Baphomet, which I believe, um, you know, was the head of John the Baptist that they also used in ritual, Mm -hmm. Uh, but their temples were all dedicated to the Virgin Mary, or in France, a lot of them dedicated to Mary Magdalene.
0: Right, right, which... I mean, you go into some really great stuff about Mary Magdalene in your book. I thought it was really fascinating. And I've, I've done a lot of research as well, but I love the way you weaved it in there. So, I mean, I think it's so great because if you go, I mean, you go back to the beginning of time, it, it's, it, it's to me, it's the same thing just in another name, in, a, in, a, in another era, in another veil. And it's, it's gone on since forever. Right. And then that's just my interpretation. And now, I mean, through ufology and all the things that, that are happening now, you know, I got, um, really turned on to it with the Chris Bledsoe story uh, and, you know, uh, the white lady appeared to him and that kind of turned me into, you know, the Lakota, uh, the, the white Buffalo calf woman, mm-hmm. Fatima, you know, if you think about Fatima and you go back to all that and it's like, this is all the same thing. This is, this is right. not, this is not separate. This isn't, you know, Happening in different things, and it's not a Catholic thing. It's not a whatever Protestant, you know, it's not a UFO thing. This is a, this is something, and it's, and it's connected to the earth, you know, Um Absolutely. And, and us in a way, you know. And I always thought that, that Masons had a part to play in it in some way, you know. When I became a Mason, I mean, I've always been UFOs my whole life, but when I became a Mason, I was like, wow, there's got to be something. I mean, there's definitely some kind of spirituality or something attached to this whole thing and and that's kind of been my quest to kind of figure out you know find other masons find other brothers find you know other connections to the sacred knowledge to the divine feminine and, and figure out what's really going on, <laughs> and, it right. led me to, and it led me to you. Thank you, by the way.
1: Well, thank you for finding me and yeah. for sliding into my DMs and asking me to do this. This is great. But the um, the UFO connection is an interesting connection because going back to the Templars and even to the first century Jews, they had documents documenting the sky people and the lands in the sky and different documents that talked about other worlds basically outside of our world and it's really amazing that all this knowledge has either been i wouldn't say lost over time but it's been hidden and kept safe i would say Mm -hmm. uh it's very valuable knowledge and information obviously but i think it's really incredible that we have people in the tradition going back that far that we're protecting that information and we're aware of it. And it leads me to believe that that technology existed to travel to other worlds back then as well.
0: Right. I mean, it, you know, the thing that keeps coming up lately is portals, you know, or, or, mm-hmm. or you know, different, um, archeological structures or, or different places on the planet where the veil is thinner or, or right. whatever I'm, you know, using words that kind of try to give the idea what's going on. But basically you could travel from one world to the next or one dimension to the next. And there's these sacred places. And sometimes we stumble upon them, you know, and a lot of them are the places that we, these texts are found, or, or places that we can't explain like Pumabunku and, you know, all these amazing places all over the planet that are like, why are these here? They're still finding them in, in Ireland to this day. It was like a month ago. They came across another, you know, tomb is what they always call them, right? It was a mound, but, you know, untouched for thousands of years. And it's like, they're there everywhere, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, the crazy thing over there is literally in Scotland, you know, and in Ireland too, you can just be driving through a neighborhood and in a nice little neighborhood, there's just a random stone circle in someone's front yard, you know, and it's not protected stone circles they're just randomly in people's properties. And one time my friend Ashley was there with me and this was last February and we're just driving down a country road, minding our own business. And there's this big farm that we're passing with all these cows out. And the cows had started to move. I think it was about feeding time. And as they started to clear out, we're driving. I see this massive tomb-like structure. And, you know, in Scotland, it's, there's no such thing as trespassing. So I was almost tempted to jump the fence and run over there. But it was a wire fence. And I wasn't about to do that. <laughs> but it was just <laughs> It's, it's raw. It's just it's just been there. And no one's it's not a site to pay to get into. I mean, it's just stuff you'd only know about if you live locally or you own the property. I mean, it's amazing. They're just littering the lands, those ancient sites, which I think and, is so cool.
0: And how are the how far how are the people there that live there's relationship to those things? Are they just kind of like, yeah, it's the stone thing? Or they do they do they have some type of reverence or, or appreciation for it?
1: That's a tough question because I've met I've met many people that Kind of just pass it by, like it's an everyday thing. They live there, so it's not really a big deal to them. Right. There's other people that live there; they're very passionate about history and about these sites and the ancestors that lived there. And I find that you know, there's few people that really get into it. But mm-hmm. I've definitely noticed always the older people, like the local people I gave tours to. I wouldn't say local, but the Scots or the the British people that I had given tours to. Yeah. you know, they really enjoy it. But they are mostly all older couples, and you know, people that that came on the trip. I would say older is and probably over 60. Yeah. And, but they, they appreciate the site. I mean, there's many young people I've met from America that appreciate ancient history like that, but I don't know, I guess when you're raised around it, it doesn't seem as important, you know,
0: Yeah. some, yeah. In
1: some way you
0: yeah, you're totally. around it all the time. Yeah. It's just like, whatever. You know, like I live on a golf course and I don't golf. My friends are like, dude, why, you just yeah. golf anytime you want. I'm like, cool. I, don't, just, <laughs> I got a friend that lives on a lake and he doesn't fish. He literally, literally Lake Erie's his backyard. He doesn't even own a fishing pole. I'm like, dude, you could fish out your back door. He's like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't fish. So it's the same kind of thing, right? There's an ancient portal yeah, in your backyard or something. Eh, whatever. It's been there. <laughs>
1: it's just, and the same thing. I, I get that. I, I grew up in, on an Island down in South Texas and I never fished in the entire, like, I don't know how many years I lived there. Maybe six years I lived there. I never went fishing and I lived at the beach.
0: So, <laughs> so It's just, it. just the way it is all over the world. And that's cool. I didn't know that the thing about um, not trespassing in Scotland. So that's going to be dangerous now. Yeah,
1: it's pretty cool. Cause you know, I've, I've actually, I wouldn't say I've gotten into lots of trouble, but I've gotten into some, you know, uh, interesting situations going to see different places on different properties and, and intent from Texas, where if you trespass, you're likely going to get shot. shot yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, there, it felt so wrong. You know, I climb over a fence or there's usually gates. You usually don't have to climb fences. People usually just have gates and there's lots of paths that, you know, people walk everywhere. So there's paths but you can just walk through someone's property And so I had gone and you know I went through a glen that led me out to a pasture and I was looking for some for some site that I'd heard about from a local and it it felt really wrong, but it was really fun too because (laughs) it was exciting. It was off the beaten path. It wasn't something that, you know, people go to usually. So it was really neat. And that actually happened when I went to Temple Church near uh, Roslyn. Yeah. And the lands actually belonged to the St. Clair's at one point. Mm. But then it became um, it was a, before that or after that they were granted to the Templars and there was a round temple there which is, has been totally knocked down and now it's it was reformed in like the 1600s or earlier I believe. Mm. And now it's just a rectangular church and the ruins of that are there. But it was a Templar graveyard. Wow. So there are tons of old, old stones there, tombstones that are you know beautifully intricate but a lot of them are starting to fade and there's not protection for them of course because they're just out in the wow. elements but it's, it's really cool so when i was there i had actually gone down into the glen and it was because the the graveyard and the church are situated right on the river oh okay. and it's a really beautiful area so and and that was that's one of the stops of my tours there's not much to see there But down the road from there, closer to the village there in, in the field next to a house, there is the remnants of an archway that used to be the entrance into the Templars house. Wow. Which is
0: pretty. That's rad. That's so, so, so rich in history there. It's amazing. And the Templars get, you know, they get such a bad rap, you know, I mean, it's just a huge deal. I mean, um, you know, especially for Freemasons and everything, you know, uh, Well, you know, everybody knows how how everything went down and people got burned at the stake for heresy and, you know, it was just a a horrible, horrible deal. But um, that's the way it was. It's all about money when it comes all down to it, unfortunately. But a lot of us are still alive today. Um, Scott Walter, you're friends with Scott Walter, I I believe, you know, obviously Mason uh, Templar, amazing guy. Mm-hmm. does, uh, all kinds of amazing research. I don't know. How'd you hook up with Scott? How do you know, Scott, how did that whole thing shake out?
1: So I met him actually, because I'd obviously read his work right in mm-hmm. a show and I was driving through Minnesota. I had gone to, to a Lakota Sundance actually. Mm-hmm. And I was invited by a family called the black Elks and actually their ancestor was a very prominent figure in uh, activism named um, Nicholas black Elk. And so they had invited me out to Sundance and I was coming to be a supporter, not to dance because you, you know, it's, it's a really big commitment to dance, but I had gone there as a supporter and I'd gotten to be a part of it, which was really amazing. And I stayed out there for about a week cool. and I had driven from Ohio and I was right. actually staying in Ohio at the time. So I was driving back from South Dakota to Ohio and I went through Minnesota because there was a gentleman that reached out to me that had seen my work, my, some of my write-ups on some I think artifacts from America's Stonehenge. And he mm-hmm. wanted me to look at some artifacts he had. They were Egyptian in nature and they'd been dug up in Florida or something to that effect. Wow. And so he wanted me to take a look at them. And so I said, okay. And it was just in Minneapolis. So I actually reached out to Scott who I had talked to about, you know, some asking the use some of his information for my own book. Um, you know, if he wanted to go with me and look at these artifacts, he said, sure. So that's kind of how we met. That was in July of 2019. So that was really fun. I stayed in the area for a couple of days. He'd showed me some local Templar and Masonic sites, which was neat. Cool. And then we kind of just started sharing information. I'd gone back to Scotland that fall and I had found some really amazing stuff like Gilmerton Cove, which I talk about in the book. Right. Which had these funnels that run all under Scotland. And there is an Ave Virgo Maria symbol there which was really cool. And, yeah. um, so, yeah, we've kind of just been in touch. We've done some research on some different things together over the last two year and a half, two years, I would say now. So.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, definitely. That's, I, that's really cool. Yeah. I'm going to bug him see if he can come on and talk. I mean, he's, he's gotten, he's getting into some real deep UFO stuff lately. Um, just from, oh,
1: yes, with his friend from the department of defense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Holden. Yeah. I've, I've been asking him some questions. at another, um, Friend of mine is um, Canadian Freemason and uh, Ryan, and you know I was he, he was like, oh, I'm gonna interview Scott. I'm like, okay, cool. Here's a list of questions. <laughs> ask him about this, 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 and this. Yeah, I'm like, here, ask him about this, and he's like, getting a bu- bug, you know, me bugging him the whole time during the chat. But no, it was cool. Um, but yeah, no, I think there's that's a really cool because that connection exists too. So the Department of Defense guy is a Freemason, Scott's a Freemason. You talking to him and you know the UFO thing, and it's all tied together. It totally is. So just amazing um i think it's like getting close but that's just my personal opinion that like something's going to happen but you know historically yes, I,
1: would say, I would say that probably over the last two years they, the government's kind of been drip feeding us things while distracting us with other things such as you know a pandemic yeah. and not only that <laughs> but but you know the, going back to even older times the people it's this is an interesting point i'd like to make yeah the native american you yeah. go to, you know, a lot of the Native Americans, like for example, out in South Dakota that I know, Chief Goldmight Eagle, if you're really interested in learning about the Natives' interactions and relationships with the star people and star ancestors, you should reach out to Chief Goldmight Eagle. His name is his white man name is Lauren Zephyr. Okay. So he actually does a lot of events usually and um, yeah, uh, I would say not 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 festivals but weekends that he he goes to events and he'll hold ceremonies and he'll talk about these things and it's really amazing but the other thing that's interesting is that not only do they have direct contact with extraterrestrials the star people and the star ancestors but also bigfoot and ufo activity like you know off the church on yeah on the um you know like the the reservations out there and it's incredible i asked him one time i said well why do the Bigfoots and the UFOs and the aliens all appear out here? You know, why do they appear out here so often and in broad daylight, but not to the rest of us? And he said, because these lands are old and they know that they're safe here. Ooh, you know, the reservation sense. is safe land that they won't be bugged on. Right. And he said that they feel that they can go there and it's a safe place for them versus the rest of America, the rest of the world, perhaps, which was an interesting point. And I think that goes back to you know, maybe it's a bloodline thing. Maybe there's ancestors that are locations that people knew that they could go or the star people knew that they could go or Bigfoot or whatever, you know, you want to call these things, these supernatural beings. And same thing with the Templar tradition and the Masonic tradition going back. Obviously these people in the first century and before that had a way of contacting them and communicating with them and there had to be some kind of trust there. So how was that passed down? How do do they decide who to talk to or who to visit now?
0: Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I think... It's definitely one of those things where, you know, you get, you're get taking your life in your hands one way or the other, because, you know, we're afraid of everything that we don't understand. I mean, you said that in your book, I think, you know, we're totally afraid yeah. of, you know, of everything we don't understand or, or anyone. And we just, right. you know, we react really badly to new things as humans, you know, it's just like, oh, it's new. know, <laughs> I don't know what this is. Kill yeah. it. You know, I mean, it's terrible. Yeah. but. You know, native Native people uh, have a tighter connection to the earth, and you know, to the spirits, the sky, to everything. So life in
2: general.
0: Yeah, completely. Right. So it's kind of like that, and, and like you said, I, you know, it may be a a a, um, a bloodline thing as well. Not out of the question. Um, you know, I did I did a little bit of digging in that after I've done a little research that you know Native American people have. Uh, a blood tie to Scottish people, believe it or not, Scott, Scotch Irish. Um, there's a, there's a bloodline connection there, which is like, how does that even happen when you think about it? You know, there, is it a land bridge? Is it something else? It's like, eh, I, I don't know, but it's a connection, you know, it's not, right. um, it, it's not, um, Russian <laughs> you know or whatever it's oh, no. <laughs> it's not Finnish, you know it's it's definitely a weird um connection too, and then one of the things that really uh, strikes me as interesting and I, I want to dig deep into as well is that you know when um uh, the Templars first came here you know and Scotts done a lot of work on this in the Kensington runestone uh, type era, you know way before Columbus. Um, that the native people had ceremonies the same as, um, the, the Freemasons did. They, they had the same type of, yes. yeah. And if you know about that, please enlighten me. I've done a little bit of research, but I mean, that's amazing that it's like, Hey, we're this group of Templars from Scotland and we're here in America. We've never been before. we met these native people that are doing the same type of ceremonies and believe the same things that we do. How is that possible? You know?
1: Well, it's it's interesting. Uh, I mean, I know there's many different groups out there, but I am aware of the Daywin, which I know Scott has actually been to a ceremony with them, to a sweat with them, mm-hmm. and they ha- it's their own fraternity, of course. But mm-hmm. I don't know about any other tribes that have their own. I'm sure that they exist, but they're just probably kept very quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the connection between the Templars and the Native people. The natives, many different tribes, talk about today the Templars and consider them their blood brothers. I'd even asked Chief Gold Eagle about it, and he had told me, "Oh yes, we we had Templar brothers," and it was just you know in the Lakota in the Lakota way, Lakota right. tradition, and I just thought that was incredible. But there's so many similarities, and I kind of want to talk about White Buffalo Calf Woman because oh, I really he, do too. <laughs> yeah, this, this prophecy about her returning is so in synced with the. With the time now, because we're in the age of Aquarius, the return mm-hmm. of the feminine, and Aquarius is literally the grail bearer, the mm-hmm. cut bearer. Right. You know? And so I thought that was really incredible that there's this going hand in hand with that on one side of the world, there's a talk about and uh, different traditions that the feminine is going to return or the goddess is going to return. And then here in North America, there's a prophecy about white buffalo calf woman returning. Right. And I will say this, and I know that it might upset some people, but I think in the book, I get into the fact that I really connect white buffalo calf woman with Mary Magdalene. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of different traditions throughout the Native Americans that talk about a white woman in some way, whether it's a white painted woman, white buffalo calf woman, or even down in the, the Mayans talk about a, a white brother coming to them. And the Cherokee have a story, I believe, about a white brother. And I just think that's really interesting. And I think that maybe early on, Jesus and Mary Magdalene came to North America and taught some traditions that they had previously in Europe and in the Middle East, because one of the things that the Lakota tradition teaches is the seven sacred rites of white buffalo cattlemen.
2: Right. And
1: those, if you really break them down and look at them with an open mind, you can see several connections with the seven sacred sacraments. Totally. Of Jesus. And so white Buffalo calf woman was prophesized to return about 2000 years later, I believe. And here she is. And she's, there's been, um, you know, several white Buffalo calves born out on the res, right? They think she has already returned and that's a way of making her appearance clear Uh because we're in the now where a connection to source and, you know, I, I'm trying to get into this. How do I put this? A connection to source and having that relationship with spirit, and even with the feminine, with the earth, with the life, with life in general, mm-hmm. is a feminine concept, and that's something we need now more than ever.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, it, it, men have screwed it up for far too long. <laughs> you know, I
1: know where we are now.
0: Totally. I mean, I've said this in a bunch of my talks too, and I mean, but I'm serious. It's like you know, and I say this, and I'm being completely honest. I. I think my theory is, is at one point, um, you know, women completely and rightfully so controlled everything, ran everything. It was just the way it was. No, right.
1: It. Archaeologically, It's it's clear that that was the case.
0: Yeah. So it's completely, so at some point there was some group of men that got together and it was like, uh, okay, we're not going to do this anymore. And then right. I'll put it all these control control structures and, you know, in and religion and, and everything else to, to tamper down that, to, to, you know subjugated and just kind of repress it in a way where it's terrible now you know i mean it, it um because it's like well, this is the right way to do it we can't do anything about it these women are all powerful they can do anything they want They basically create life destroy like whatever we can't have it we got we can't you know we're, we're men we got to stop it you know and then and they, they've suppressed it and it, it, to the detriment of mankind for thousands of years and that's just my personal belief you know i, I really oh, think that oh, we need oh. that switch
1: No, and it's not that we need a switch. It's that we need balance. We need the masculine and the feminine. If we're going to have a male leader, we need to have a female leader next to him. You know, a lot of of, even the Native American cultures, even if there was a chief that ruled Mm -hmm. his wife was he went to and, you know, talked to about things before making decisions. They did not go to war, go to battle without consulting the the elderly women and the elderly women were the wise women of the tribe. Grandmothers were weird because they were old and wise and they're very sacred for that reason. And that's who made the decisions for the tribe was the women.
0: Yeah, no, totally. And, and I think uh, I'm hopefully we're getting there. I think there's like, you know, Age Aquarius, I think it's getting back. I think there's, this is the way this is the rockiness before we get all this stuff that's going on, but I really think it's going to happen. I hope so. I
1: certainly so. Yeah. And there's, there's <laughs> an interesting theory that, that actually is presented in a book called uh, When God Was a Woman. Mm-hmm. And it's a great book. It's an older book. And I'm probably about halfway through it now. But there was a part that talked about, an archaeologist had proposed a theory that the reason why people thought women were sacred going back thousands of years ago was that they didn't understand the relationship between sex and babies. And they didn't understand that when a woman was with a man, that that's what created a child. You know, they, they say that maybe they thought women just magically you know, became with child mm. and fine sense you know that that they were able to do that and that's what made them so special and that when they understood that connection that's when the split started and they started depressing women because then they thought they held all the power Ah. i don't know if i quite agree with that it's it's interesting but i'm not sure because i feel like as humans or as a woman even you have that intuition where you kind of know maybe not i can't say because i didn't live back then but
0: i i don't know i mean it's it's amazing i mean just be able to decipher things that are left like the ruins and the things and the, you know, um, the monuments and the uh, temples and things that are erected to the goddesses. I mean, you would think that it was a huge undertaking to do something like that to, 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 you know, gather the materials, to have somebody skilled craftsmen and women, you know, to do that, you know, to do all these things. And and for what, I mean, it had to have been something of uh, immense value, you know, And, 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 and a lot of people think, in my mind, a lot of these things we look at are temples, or just shrines, or tombs. They always call them, right, burial tombs or whatever. But I think these things actually had working. Um, they were they they served a purpose other than just what what we consider a tomb or, or a temple or things like that. I, I really do believe that there are possibly situated on uh, points on the planet, lay lines or things like, like lay that. Lines, yeah. yeah, that are definitely connected to other things. Um, and, and held energy or, you know, could trap energy or amplify it or things like that. And for different situations, you know, one of the big things um, that's real near me, I, I live in Ohio as well. I live up in, um, near Toledo, but um, okay. down south um, near Cincinnati, um, there's the... Uh, serpent mound, which is the largest.
1: I spent a lot of time there. Yes.
0: Have you? Okay. I'm, I still, I mean, you know, for me, I, duh, I've driven by it, you know, haven't stopped because you know that, but um, you know, it's the lar- it's the is it the largest um, land built um, mound in the world? Right. I think that's what it is.
1: I believe it's the largest effigy mound. Yes. Okay, and, mound. Um, at least, at least in North America. I'm not sure about the rest of the world for sure, but I know in North America it is one of the largest effigy mounds and it's really incredible because there's also so many features to that. And obviously, it's a serpent. But there's a theory that it represents the constellation Draco. Ah. And you know, as above, so below. They were they believed that this place was the center of the universe, or that the constellation held a star that was the center of the universe. And there was a star in that constellation that was the pole star before mm-hmm. thousands of years ago. And so, the center of Serpent Mound is actually perfectly aligned on a certain day with that star or was at some point. And when the pole stars changed, they actually erased one coil of the serpent and moved it. Wow. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Okay. Let's fix this. (laughs) They went out there and did started digging it. You know, when you think about that, how many thousands of years ago, I mean, it's not like they got backhoes and caterpillars or even shovels for God's sakes. I don't even think they had like, you know, there's not a forged steel shovel. There's just people pushing dirt up (laughs) onto piles you know, completely aligned to star formations, you know? And And
1: speaking of Serpent Mound, there is an interesting story. I don't know if I wrote about this, but I have to say it because it's super cool. And it's something that I've only heard by somebody local. mm -hmm. I think I heard this from older Indian women that was there and they were talking about how in the middle of the serpent's eye or head or whatever it is, there was a stone altar that was laying there.
0: It is in uh, your book. I read that in your book. It's amazing
1: yeah and so the the guy that was you know taking care of the lands got tired of mowing <laughs> around it so he like threw it over the cliffside and just let it fall down there so now it's still down there and you can go visit it and the interesting thing is that it's kind of it has these interesting tunes like it's definitely tuned different parts of it make different sounds and wow. it just vibrate it's really cool but the important part of the story was that they say that a long time ago this altar was there for a reason and a lot of native tribes different tribes from all over had brought these egg-shaped stones and they would sh- set these egg-shaped stones on the altar and they would contain a spirit of somebody that had passed away. And they would set these stones on the altar. And then just about probably, I would say about 15 feet away, I believe there was a, st- there's a post hole there now in the concrete, like it's sinking in there. Mm-hmm. And Jeffrey Wilson's also another, if you want to talk about Serpent Mound and all that kind of stuff, Jeffrey Wilson's the person to you know have on about that. But he he was telling me, he showed me where the post hole was and in the concrete, it's caving in there. So originally they had a wooden pole there. And on summer solstice in the evening at sunset, there would be a shadow cast from the pole that touched the altar. And when it would touch the altar, they would say that the spirits were released to the heavens.
0: Wow. That's so awesome. Yeah.
1: yeah. So some of those egg-shaped stones, you can be you can find near that toppled over altar stone <laughs> on the side of the cliff.
0: Has everybody said, hey, maybe we should go pick that up, uh, you know, yeah. like that? That's, I don't know. Maybe that should be my my summer project. Get a bunch of dudes yeah. there to raise it back up, you know. Yeah. So we can get about fifteen guys and some ropes to make it happen.
1: For sure, that would be awesome. I mean, it's just laying there on the side of the cliff. It's it's crazy to me that people can just leave. That. And there is also a story. Another thing that's really interesting was uh, on the back side of the Serpent Mound, kind of where the bathrooms are. There was three holes, three parts of earth that caved into underground caves. Really, and there had been that talked about being a child and remembering playing in those caves at some point. But I can't I think that person died. Or nobody's been able to get in touch with whoever that was or I don't know. There is some fluke there. But it was an interesting story. And these holes had opened up again, I think several years ago, maybe more recently. I'm not sure. Can't remember exactly when it was, but they had backfilled it with, you know, gravel and dirt. And I'm like, no, what if, what if there's stuff down there? If things were really caves beforehand, you know, right. maybe there's a burial or there are some sites underground. I mean, caves were so sacred to the people too.
0: Mm-hmm. Totally. And maybe then you know, when you get down the farther south in Ohio, I mean, it's just full of caves down there when you hit it, that, yeah. whole, that whole side. And it goes all the way down. Absolutely. I mean, Massive caves. I mean, some giant caves down there. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, completely. And also, I mean, I don't know if this is completely known or not, but I think Scott Walter and I were talking about it um on twitter believe it or not we're going back and forth because yeah he, he had gone this summer i think and took a picture or, or somewhere this fall or something and i was like oh hey that's my backyard you know and i'm like yeah. i heard there's a lot of magnetic anomalies there as well like if you yes. take a compass it just pff, does a bunch of crazy things and, I, and also i think scott may have said this that they think that it may be even built on a site of a, a previous meteor impact
1: Oh no! It is. It definitely is 100 uh, in an impact cr- crater. So that's why there's so many magnetic anomalies. Um, but I believe it's right on the outside, maybe kind of towards the the outer part of the impact crater. But yeah, that's definitely a big part of the site, and maybe that's part of the reason why it was so sacred because of these magnetic anomalies due to that impact crater.
0: Right, right. You know, it's we all have you know magnetic receptors. I think that's been proven now that you know humans as well. I mean, we always knew that birds, you know, homing pigeons, sharks, things like that had you know different types of magnetic receptors in their brains be able to tail north and south. And human, I, I want to believe that humans did as well. And, and previously, especially native people, could you know, connected more to the earth. Maybe you could feel that a lot more than you could feel now. You know, we always get like the hair standing up on your arms and things when things yeah. aren't right. But I mean, if it's back in that time, I mean, imagine that compared to everything else. It'd be like, a oh, maybe that's how these ley lines did exist. You walked into it and you're like, okay, this is weird. All right. All right. Cool. We're going to do something here because of the energy and the, and the things that are going on. But I don't know, just theorizing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, no, it's very possible. And I think that that's that's, that's the reason why a lot of places are deemed sacred. I mean, especially when you go over to Europe, those ley lines exist for a reason, because those were energetical points on the earth that in some way were sacred. And people felt that different vibration or different frequency or whatever it might have been, that was sacred to them. And I think it's interesting now because we are so... Uh, you know, this is something that I actually, even one of my astronomy classes made this point, and we were talking about moon cycles. And yeah. so, obviously, they're sacred for a lot of reasons, but there's 13, you know, lunar cycles in a year. Women have 13 menstrual cycles in a year. Right. And in the native traditions, they call that moon time. So, women have moon time aligned with the moon, which I think is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but in today's society, there is such a disconnect from that, and I think it's for many reasons. For one, our sleep schedules are so different. Two, we're exposed to different things. We're, we're, we're eating food that is, you know, genetically modified. We're drinking water that probably isn't the most pure water, and we're, you know, watching TV. We're using electricity. We're around all these different, all this different kind of technology, and all of that does have an effect on our bodies. Oh, and I think that's why, you know, women aren't as synced up with the moon cycles as they used to be in the old times, and. Um, you know, there was an experiment done where a woman or multiple women had slept with a light on in their room for certain days, like during the full moon, and it helped regulate them, which was kind of an interesting experiment. Huh. It was proven that there's a connection there between the moon and the moon cycle, the, the, between the moon, moon cycles, and women's cycles, obviously. But yeah. uh, I just found that really fascinating because our bodies are totally aligned with nature in every way. But it's just the, the technology, and I think the frequencies from technology and all of that, that totally disrupt our natural cycles.
0: Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, I joke with my wife and I'm like, yeah, it's the full moon, right? <laughs> it's coming up. <laughs> it's, yeah. you know, but, but reading in your book, you know, it was amazing too when you talk about the moon cycles, it was a, a sacred ceremony for the native people where the women would be coming oh, of age and they would have uh, their own ceremonies and, you know, basically bleed onto the earth. And, you mm-hmm. know, um, uh, you know, I learned all this from your book. Thank you very much. But yeah, it was, a, it's a definitely, um, uh, a ceremony i think right in a way i mean you probably phrase it better than me from what my understanding from just reading your book but basically it's like it was a very sacred thing and the women participated together and it was a very big deal when a woman first you know got her first period and you know, her first cycle and shared that experience came into womanhood you know and that and, you know, men didn't share in that, obviously, um, but they had their own ceremonies, I think. Right. Was it separate? Were men separated always from that? Obviously, they, they weren't involved in that. It was a sacred woman thing.
1: Yes. Yes. So usually I know in the Lakota ways, they would go out of they would go out of the village and they would stay in their own place. Usually, probably, you know, and most tribes did this. Uh, most most cultures did this. They would have like a hut or um, maybe a teepee or maybe some kind of other lodge built that they would stay in during this time and they would stay there together mm. and they would be doing things like you know sewing arts and crafts type of things but they would be together for it because all the women would have the same cycle right and they would all go for that time and be left alone and so some some cultures did have ceremonies for um well, most cultures did have ceremonies for women coming of age that were getting their first moon cycle. Mm. And I think it's really interesting that they did that because could you imagine today? Like, you know, let's say, let's say I, I get my first moon cycle and the, I, my mom goes running out to the town and shouts to everybody. Hey, Haley just got our first period. Everybody let's <laughs> celebrate, you know, and
0: everybody, everybody drops day. their stuff and let's go do some crafts. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just can't imagine that today. Back then, that's how it was. And the reason was they weren't afraid of nature. They weren't like today. It's kind of taboo to talk about periods and oh, yeah. sex and all these different things. But back then, that was everyday conversation. That was dinnertime conversation. <laughs> you
0: know? so, yeah. Back was a then, big deal. Was part of life. Yeah. Yeah,
1: And and everybody participated. Everybody made that woman when it was her first moon time, everybody made that woman feel, you know, like she was sacred. That's when she became a goddess, essentially. She had the ability to go to the spirit world and bring back a life, you know, and that's why it was so sacred.
0: That's amazing. Haley, I love your book, man. And you're awesome. Thank you so much. I mean, this has been really cool. (laughs) Seriously. I mean, I just, I'm really excited because I really think that this, you know, the divine feminine is coming back. I really do. Like I feel it, you know, and I joke around and I'm like, I, I always keep, I keep joking around and I'm like, I'm kind of scared. I like, I, I feel like she's like just right hanging out over here going, Hey John. And I'm like, yeah. uh, and I'm going, it's not, not right. just not yet. I mean, just for a minute. I know you want to talk, but just, uh, I don't know if I'm ready. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I think. You gotta, you gotta-
0: yeah. She's coming. <laughs> she's coming. I think I just, I just yeah. got to get, I think doing things like this and, and learning more and researching, you know, get get be prepared for it for sure. Because I mean, there's a lot, I don't know. I mean, obviously I, I dug really deep into Hathor and, um, you know, just from a lot from, you know, I've talked to Ryan Bledsoe a lot, you know, I mean, his dad, I don't know if you, you're familiar with the Bledsoe story, Chris Bledsoe and all that stuff or no, am I? I'm not, I'm not. Oh, wow. Let's give you the, 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 um, condensed version. Uh, so Chris mm-hmm. Bledsoe, um, and I'll send you some links. It'll make it a lot easier. But, you know, um, so basically Chris Budzo had his experience as a guy in North Carolina. Um, was fishing with some guys down by the river. He had seen some orbs. Um, basically what this transpired to is that he was missing him and his son were missing um, in front of a bunch of people for uh, hours. And they were like, where did you go? We came back. Uh, a craft was there. All these guys got freaked out, jumped in the car. They thought was the end of the world. Everybody kind of went back to their own thing. Anyways, Chris ends up having this another experience with these beings, white beings. We kind of look at them like grays, um, uh, and you know he 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 has he had um, um, uh, a, a, a disease, and he was actually ended up curing of it. And I'm trying to remember what it was right now. It was, um, and I can't remember what it is. So forgive me, but it's um, something with your digestive system, so with your stomach. It was really, really like basically killing him, and it ended up healing him. Um, it was stomach cancer. No, it wasn't stomach cancer. It was, um, and you know, oh God, I feel bad that I remember. It's, um, I think it was Crohn's. I'm sorry. It was Crohn's, okay. Crohn's, okay. Crohn's disease. Crohn's disease. Okay. I just couldn't remember the name of it. <laughs> I was thinking crow and I'm like, that's not a disease. It's Crohn's. So he yeah, had Crohn's really bad. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it ended up curing him of Crohn's. Um, he had this experience with this, this being, um, very religious, very religious family kept it really quiet for a real long time. When he did came out and talk about it, um, Mufan had a, um, CAA plant that was the head of MUFON at the time, or came down there and basically whitewashed this whole story. They did a Discovery Channel episode of it. This is 15 years ago now, and basically, um, you know, made him look like an idiot. Uh, you know, did a lie detector test, which is completely wrong, like all this stuff to just basically, you know, make a story go, go away. Um, another thing happened where he was outside. This thing came out. It was his orb came down, and a bull ran him over. You know, this thing came out, and a bull came out and charged him. He fell over to the ground, and he got up, and there was a white lady there, a woman in white, hovering over the ground and she said this is yours to bear you have to give this message you, you know this is this is what's happening and then started giving them prophecies and all these things that were going on wow yeah so this was you know in the past 15 years or so um it, it gets it gets a little bit deeper but basically just so she comes back all the time these orbs come back all the time Is video and evidence and stuff like that um He's in contact with the CIA. Like every every agency you could possibly imagine is there uh, all the time. They know that the white. They know the lady's real, and they don't. They the lady's not talking to them, so they want Chris to tell them what the lady what's what she wants, what's going on. Um, these are
1: government agencies that are wanting to know these things that are yeah monitoring him.
0: Yes. Wow. Yep. yep. They're friends. They, there's pictures of them hanging out. Um, you know, Ryan um, was Ryan is their, the the other son. Um, and he, I, I want to say he was like 14, 13, 14 when it started happening, you know, he's in his twenties now. Oh. Yeah. So he's been like, there's been government agents. I mean, they've all done the crazy things to threaten him, his family, and tell him they were going to kill him, things like that, up to just, you know, uh, the, uh, the gamut of the whole thing, just being friends with them to like, Hey, we're going to kill you. Like all kinds of different things. You know, NASA's, I mean, they've taken Chris through NASA, to places where he, the president even goes. And there's photos of all this stuff. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I mean, they had a deal. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, it's been really hard for him and, you know, pretty cool for him at the same time but the lady keeps yeah. coming back and that's this thing it's just it's the kills of their mother the divine feminine the lady she keeps coming back and uh, it's Hathor i guess is kind of the thing the bull and you know, Hathor all this stuff and she's like basically you know we have a choice we have to you know love or fear choice. and love is the only way it's going to happen we you know we have to raise our vibration up we have to love it's the only way we're going to save the world you know there's a bunch of people that want the end of the world they're you know dark forces they're that they're using the Book of Revelations, they're using it as a playbook to bring about the end times. And there's another group of people that are just want, you know, peace and love and, and happiness and, you know, the age of Aquarius and all that stuff. And, you know, the messages she's given them are just amazing. Like, you know, and you think you hear all this stuff and you're like, wow, all right. But, you know, he was talking about, his, he went to one of these conferences and he was talking about his UFO experience. I was, he was, he was scheduled to talk about his UFO experience. And this, the lady had just came to him a couple weeks before him. And, he just started talking about the lady. And these people started heckling him. They're like, we don't want to hear about that. We want to hear about the UFO thing. And it was just got so upset that he said, hey, on this date, at this time, there's going to be this magnitude earthquake. And he's like, I didn't even say it. It just came out of me. And literally, like, that played out, like, whenever that was, like, whenever that date and time. And so that's when the guy, like, after then, it was like, okay, a lot of attention. Boom, right away. You know, there's still a huge military, or military, yeah, um, government interest.
1: And he's where? He's in, he's South in Carolina,
0: North Carolina. You said? Uh, North Carolina. North Carolina.
1: North Carolina.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, but that's, I mean, that's
1: incredible. I was not aware of the story at all.
0: Yeah, definitely. I, I well, I'll hook you up um, with some links and stuff. But yeah, I mean, it's just an amazing mixer, and he's the most awesome human on the planet. Chris is. I mean, just the most guy. He does does great interviews. Um, thing was is that he um, at some point he signed a a deal for um, to do a um a uh, movie about his experiences. So we had like it was so so many years he couldn't talk about it or whatever. Um, but the lady.
1: Oh, that's right. Should never be for years. So she, that, that's far too long to not be able to talk about something like that. Because he's going to be missing out on a lot of other opportunities too. Well, so that's
0: that's, disappointing. Yeah. Well, the lady came back to him and said, "You know what? Time to talk now." Like last year, last mm-hmm. not this Easter, but last Easter. she's always comes on Easter for sure. Came on Easter and was like, "Now's your time to talk. We're going to help you with more evidence. We're going to help you with, you know, to get the message out." So i mean chris has got a facebook page um he doesn't have twitter but ryan his son twy has a twitter but you know chris is i filming all the time orbs yeah all the time just coming down you know they respond to him they come to him it's just it's just crazy. the most amazing thing i mean there was a tree in his backyard he was trying to it was, he was he didn't know if he wanted to meet with these people from hollywood before he did, signed this deal and he asked for a sign and this tree had been raining for three days in his backyard and this tree caught on fire and they went out and they put it Got out on fire. just at the middle of the tree inside the tree and out Just the, the tree catches on fire. Wow. So he's like, okay, that's the sign. So they put it out three times that night and it's, it just kept coming back on fire. And now it's like, it just, it's going back. It's the most amazing tree. But from what I heard that people would, people would send clothes and stuff, animals and things like that. And people would put things in this tree and they would, when you would get them back, you would be healed of whatever sickness or whatever you, you have like, yeah, can't stage four cancer, stuff like that.
1: Yeah, I actually read the site that I visited in France and I, I'm trying to think. I I believe that the locals call it the Yoni Caves. Not sure if I took a photo of this or not. Okay. Did I talk about this in the
0: book? Uh, I don't think so. I don't I, think I probably
1: I need to go back and add that in there, but if I haven't, but Yoni Caves were beautiful and it, this was in the south of france somewhere and i need to look and see exactly where it was but it was right beneath the templar stronghold right beneath uh, uh, a, a commandery actually and th- so the templar commandery was up in the town and this cave had a tunnel system that likely probably ran to the commandery but right. anyway this, this cave basically was you know these two egg-shaped you know carved out aspects of the cave and the cave arches over. And then in the middle, there is running water that comes and creates an X um. over the rock and the rock there is red because of the minerals. There's, there's really high concentrations of different minerals there. And it looks like, you know, ovaries when you step back and you look, it looks uh-huh. like ovary. So when you'd be walking into the cave, you'd be walking into the womb of Yuri, uh-huh. of the goddess, right? So this water there, people have been saying for probably thousands of years that it was sacred and had healing properties. And I was standing out there with a woman named Annie, I believe, and she fantastic, Annie Williams. And we're out there and she's telling me about the different experiences she's had there and about kind of the history of the area. And this man comes up. He's driving by, and he stops his car, and he rolls rolls down the window, and he starts passionately going on speaking French. And I speak very little French, so I'm I'm hearing some words here, like <laughs> feeling, you know, sickness, my sin. He's pointing at stomach, and he's all worked up about this, throwing his hands up. And Annie speaks a little bit more than me, and she turns and she says. He said he moved here so many years ago because he was very sick and people told him to come here and drink the water every day. And he had a stomach problem of some sort. And so he came and drank the water every day. And after three months, he was healed. Wow. And so he was going on and on saying, drink the water, drink the water. <laughs> so I, had, I had to get some water and take, take some home with me, which was, you know, cool. But yeah. th- that's one of the sites in the world that, you know, is a healing site and that uh, the water in, in different places, even at Serpent Mound, there's a spring nearby that they say the water is healing there. Wow. It's actually like kind of right off the high, off the road, and it's right in front of someone's house. But you can just walk up there and fill up your water bottles with you know the water there, which is kind of neat.
0: And they're cool about it. It's, it's yeah, it's Ohio. Oh, yeah, it yeah, was yeah. like, okay, cool. That's yeah. rad. Yeah, I definitely yeah. need to go down there. I think there's a, a huge there's something definitely going on there. Ohio is just littered with things. If you if you look at oh, all the, the yeah. mounds, uh, just amazing. Yes. You know, yes. I don't know what was going on here <laughs>
1: back then. Well, there there used to be sites like this all over north america but the sad thing is for example texas Mm. texas lacked a lot of archaeological context because you know it wasn't part of the union for a very long time right right and that time period Texas never had any real archaeology done. Like you had people in the 1800s in Ohio documenting mounds and doing excavations and that kind of thing. But in right. Texas, that never existed. We never had that. It was the frontier, it was the Wild West. We just had people coming out here, and if there were mounds, they were digging them up or knocking them over, <laughs> building on top of them, building into them, whatever. You know, we found some them.
0: dinosaur bones. Look at that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. right. And people were afraid, frankly, they were afraid of the Indians here. They didn't okay. want to interact. They were burial mounds. They probably didn't want to touch them, you know, because they thought they were cursed or whatever. But yeah, it's interesting because Texas never had any real archaeology done until like pretty recently in the grand scheme of, of, you know, this country. And the other states had archaeology starting pretty early, like late 1700s, early 1800s. People were really getting interested in these sites, and some of them were preserved and others weren't. There is a site probably about an hour from here called Caddo Mounds, and it's one of the few preserved sites in Texas. And the, it was the Caddo Indians that built them. Mm. And then there's some mounds also about 45 minutes from me that are on private property, but they're not open to the public and they won't disclose the location because people have gone and tried to, you know, grave rob, mm. unfortunately, Loot, dig up yeah. the mounds. but there's a lot more history. I think here that's been hidden or forgotten or lost just because there wasn't proper archeology span done and or documentation done of these sites. And a lot of them also, for example, Cahokia, well, Serpent Mound, before they had this actual Serpent Mound, they had an observatory out where the parking lot is that was, you know, uh, not a Stonehenge, but a Woodhenge. And that's where they calculated the astronomical alignments. Because if you go to the Serpent, the alignments aren't totally spot on. Yeah. It's because they were done a little ways back in the parking lot. And same thing at Cahokia and near St. Louis, Missouri. And um, they, they had a wood hinge there as well to calculate the astronomical alignments. And so I believe that part of the problem is a lot of this, this lower path of, you know, North America was usually people using wood because that's what mm. was so abundant. Right. Yeah. And wood structures are not going to be preserved like they would like stone would be, you know.
0: Totally. Yeah. I mean,
1: it's- is America's Stonehenge in New Hampshire. And, you know, Dennis Stone, the owner, and I co-research and share things like that. And, you know, his side is really amazing for several reasons. But up there, there's so many stones. Why would they need to use wood to build things when they have so many stones? Whereas down here, there's not the geology doesn't lend itself to that. It's going to be trees and wood people are using to build things.
0: Yeah, totally. No, yeah. It makes I mean, I live in the biggest oak forest in the world, pretty much. (laughs) That's like, why not? You know, just stick it in the ground. It'll be there forever, you know at least a Mm -hmm. couple hundred years you know i always thought it was hilarious in you know school read about um how american oak was prized for ships and in you know the sixteen seventeen hundreds 1700s because cannonballs would literally bounce off of it like the british ships would hit like american ships with the oak and it would be like and it wasn't even steel it was just that hard american oak you know so yeah kind of interesting but no it's it's That's awesome. I'm so happy that you're so excited and passionate about history and archaeology. I think it's awesome. I think that there needs to be a billion more of you. uh, There's
1: there's not enough. There's not enough people in my generation that are interested. And it's really sad because, you know, for that reason, most of my friends are two, three times my age because I, I, you know, and it's sad because I wish that more young people would get into it. But I think that there has been in the recent years, there's been a growth in interest in history and archaeology and younger generations, which I think is fantastic because, you know, we need more archaeologists, more geologists, more, um, you know, just people, historians, I mean, people that are willing to put in the work and work in this area and help uncover so much that's been lost. I mean, it's like the ocean. We, there's so much more that we don't know about the ocean, you know, that, than we do know. And same thing with history. I mean, it's right. like we're constantly uncovering a, a different chapter every day that we're working on it. And it's just incredible to me. They're still finding new things in Egypt and in Europe and that's
0: everywhere. Am- it's amazing. And, and the suppression of it. I mean, I hate to say this, put on the conspiratorial hat, but I mean, oh, yeah. we've seen no, it. for no, the-
1: uh, Yeah
0: huge I mean, it's a huge um tampering down of like n- when you find something that goes against the known record they just throw it out in a lot of cases it's just like oh yeah that's that's not that can't be real at all that doesn't fit into our mold we're going to throw it away
1: Yes, and it's the out of place artifacts that really seem to upset people and get them real excited about things and not always in a good way. And that's like that's what's happened with the Kensington runestone. I mean, yeah. that's what's happened with, you know, for example, America's Stonehenge has faced a lot of backlash too. And some people sit here and try to say, Oh no, this can't this can't be true or this can't be real or this was a hoax, this blah 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 blah. But for example, um one of the stone serpents, I think, at America's Stonehenge. Just got back a date, and it was it was a bioluminescence dating, I think, or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. I forget it was OSL. It was OSL, and the the date under the stone serpent, you know, for the stone serpent wall or the wall, I I think it was part of the stone serpent, was like the 14th century. And so that proved it was definitely, you know, pre-Columbian, it was in the 1300s. And so that was interesting. And that's that's one, you know, that's some hard data people cannot argue with. The data is the data. And a lot of times that's the issue is these archeologists want to take the data and argue with it, but the science doesn't lie. People
0: do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's so hard though, because I mean, then it gets, you know, it's only printed and people only know about it. If you're passionate about it and you care about it and you things like, you know, things like that. But I mean, somebody's going to print a textbook and somebody in high school or is going to read this book and say, Hey, this is how it is. And if you don't, if you don't <laughs> care enough about it or, or passionate about it, you're just going to believe whatever you're taught and, and not, you it's know, it's just like religion. Yeah, <laughs> it's, 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 it's exactly like about what it a religion. Is. It's a science. <laughs> Same thing
1: with archeology. span It's too political, like religion. You know, it's it's sad because we I mean, you can't be political when it comes to science. You can't. It, it, there's just too much that there has to be hard science for and, you know, hard data for to really argue it and make it political. Well, for example, like Scott did all the work on the runestone and people yeah. still sit here and try to argue it. I mean, there are some things like that, you know, people just insist that it's fake and not really have a good reason to argue it. They just insist that it is, yeah. you know. Yeah, well yeah. So for example, the root leachings, I I think it was on the on the runestone go back to thirty years, fifteen or thirty years before Olaf Omen. They were that old, fifteen mm-hmm. or thirty years old, I not remember which number, when Olaf Omen had pulled up the stone. So if they were that old, he obviously did not, you know, carve the runestone, <laughs> he had just immigrated to America. You know, I'd yeah. been there for a while. So it was at least the the runes had to be at least fifteen to thirty years old, but you know, it, and it was obviously based on the context of the artifact and what it said and, it's you know, its content. It definitely had to have been an authentic Templar artifact from the 1300s. So yeah. there's just no doubt about it in my mind. And there's some things that you just people... It's frustrating for me, too, because I get that a lot being interested in this kind of history, Mm -hmm. especially when I talk about the Templars and mysticism and the grail. And, you know, everybody wants to argue with me about about all of it and about the bloodline. So and people say there's no evidence, but there really is quite a bit of evidence when you really look for it.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think the bloodline has a huge play in all of that, too. Um, You know, it's always been my personal belief and I've only done, you know, a minuscule amount of research on it. But, um, you know, Reese's negative bloodline to me stands out as a huge question mark in the whole grand scheme of yeah. human evolution. You know, I'm, you know, be And, um, you know, it's amazing because it, my wife, it's, it's really weird. My wife's be negative. Um, you know, it's kind of weird. My, my, both my parents, you know, the whole side of that family, you know, it's just like my daughter, you know, everybody, it's just like, wow, that's kind of weird. You know, do you find these people? Do you interact with people? You know, um, you know, do you, is there something going on that you can, you know, connect with people that are, you know, of the same negative blood type? I don't know. It's it's always one of the things. So, you know, it kind of weirds people out, but I was like, Hey, what's your blood type? You know, like most people don't know, which is amazing to me. People don't know. Do you know?
1: Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I, I need to find out because it might yeah, I do need to find out what it is.
0: Yeah, no, I mean when, I, I don't know how I, I can't remember I, I found out when I think when I donated blood, when I went to like red Class when I was like, in high school or whatever, and it was that became a thing. It was also a thing when my wife became pregnant because if you are a disparate blood types, you know, the woman has to get a shot because basically if she was positive and I was negative, her her, her body would reject the fetus. Right. So, so she had to get. You have to have some type of shot that basically, you know, keeps the baby from being aborted. And so, but we were both being negative, and it's like, oh, cool. You know, I mean, that's a thing. You know, for the, how many thousands of years that happen where you, you just couldn't have mated with somebody that was a, the opposite blood type? And you think back, and it's like, and it's only like what is it? Like five percent of the population or something is a negative blood type. It's like, how's that even possible? If we all evolved for monkeys yeah. and a rhesus monkey, then how, there's no negative. <laughs> there's zero negative blood type monkeys <laughs> orangutans, any type of primates. So where does yeah. that come from?
1: Well, and I was just ta- having this conversation with a friend yesterday about what makes us attracted to other human beings. And part of me wonders if it's not, you know, obviously genetics, there was a show on Netflix and this concept of it was really interesting. The show itself wasn't that great, but it was mm-hmm. called the one. Mm-hmm. And basically it was about this DNA company that was able to take your DNA and match you with the one person in the world that you're guaranteed to fall in love with (laughs) and i thought well that would give dating sites a run for their money that's an interesting (laughs) concept that would mean that it is genetic somehow the way that we are attracted to people and that kind of thing so i do wonder if not only that plays a part into it but also um i was discussing uh ancestral interaction you know i've noticed in a lot of times throughout different times in my own genealogy the same families are coming together and marrying and it's really weird like you know obviously it depends on the location but even like relocating to the states and in different areas there's so many of the same families that kind of end up together again and it's just strange to me i i just it's so interesting how human connection works i think there is a lot you know there's obviously a lot of our brain that we don't understand right and we don't know what it does but i think there's just there's just so many mysteries out there about DNA and what, what it can do and what it can tell us.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a really good point uh, to talk about in your book too. You're talking about um, uh, mitochondrial DNA. It's passed from the mother and only, right. the, and only the mother. Right. So,
1: yes. you know, and it, that, that leads me to the topic of parthenogenesis, which is one of my favorite things to talk about. Cause
0: let's talk uh, about it.
1: <laughs> yeah, It could potentially mean that women did not need men at some point in time. Uh, parthenogenesis has been observed on a small scale in different species but never obviously in you know humans or Not that we've like documented us, though
0: right? I mean it could have how happened. You, you, right? How could you document that? I mean <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean yeah, so I think it's, it's possible that at some point in evolution, maybe it were it was females. You know, it's interesting because in the Bible they talk about Adam and Eve and the first humans. But what if the first human was actually female and she didn't need she was parthenogenetic, so she did not absolutely need a male companion. She was able to procreate on her own. But the right. question would be, what would have happened that would have made it necessary to have also a man at some point for her to be able to reproduce? I mean, unless there was some, I, I can't I can't imagine what an issue would be that would cause that to happen or what would happen in genetic modification over time, evolution that would, would cause that. But parthenogenesis is the ability to, as a female, not being asexual, but the ability of a female to actually conceive of your own will mm-hmm. and not need you know a man to do it, which I think is a really interesting concept. Because now, I mean, obviously, I'm not going to get pregnant just because I really want to, or I think about it a lot. <laughs> thank God. I mean, I, I mean, back then, if women could do that, that that's really amazing. I mean, I could understand why people revere her as a goddess. Well, so mitochondrial the, DNA.
0: The, I'm sorry to interrupt, but wasn't what? um, but didn't wasn't Hathor or um, Ra or, or um, one of the earlier goddesses? Wasn't or wasn't that their um, one of their abilities to to procreate um from their own body? I think. And I'm, I'm trying. I'm, I'm trying to Maybe. remember. Maybe I
1: mean I don't recall that, but I do know ISIS, for example. She was uh, she'd conceived and had a quote unquote virgin birth, which was not really a virgin birth because <laughs> the story was that she uh, her husband had been killed by his brother, and she goes and picks up all the different pieces mm-hmm. of his body. And when she puts oh. him back together, she conceives, but of his dead body, you know. Yeah. So obviously, there's supposed sexual relationship there but at the same time like a lot of the traditions say that she stood over his body and magically conceived mm. you know so i don't know how that all happened
2: <laughs>
1: but, <laughs> I don't know, yeah, but i think it's interesting i think that's the only thing i'm aware of as far as conceiving by your own free will and like oh. i said that the theory the archaeologist proposed in that book about you know people revering women because they thought that she could conceive without Sex was yeah. kind of interesting, and maybe, maybe that was, a, uh, you know, something at some point in time. But I just think that our instincts as humans are too strong for that to really be the case. To not understand the relationship between, you know,
0: a man and a woman, unless, unless, like your point is correct that at some point it was, at some point that was the, yeah, that you didn't need man, you know, a woman didn't need a right. man to, to to create life, right? At that point, then well,
1: and that would that would make sense with mitochondrial DNA and that enigma because mitochondrial dna is only passed from mother to child the man's dna is completely disregarded it's like nope don't need you you know <laughs> so that's just, just the feminine and i think that's just a really interesting point and there's there's got to be some hang up there or some reason why i mean nature has a, there's a reason for everything in nature N- nature just doesn't decide it's going to do something for the for the sake of it but yeah just toss so that there's, out there's, there's yeah yeah. At some point in time that they decided that for whatever reason, it wasn't necessary. So my, my idea on that was that it was at some point that women were parthenogenetic, maybe men existed. maybe there was a, sh- or maybe this was an evolutionary trait. Like maybe women needed men to conceive. And then at some point, some catastrophe happened. There weren't enough men on, on, the, on the earth. Right. And it was a, you know, evolutionary change because they needed to repopulate the earth. And so now this is kind of an interesting time because more women are choosing to not have children. Right. These days. So if enough women choose to not have children for a long period of time, are we going to start being able to conceive on our own? Probably. I mean, I, I guess, I hope not, <laughs> but that's I mean, an interesting point because you don't ever see that. And before something had to have happened to, to cause our bodies to do that, to only pass mitochondrial DNA down to, from the mother.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's just amazing to me. I mean, and this is just my own personal experience. And, you know, hopefully my dad doesn't hate me for this one. But, <laughs> you know, when you're a kid you're, and, you're a, and you're a man, you know, you're like, I was really interested in my father's genealogy, you know, was, and, you know, he, he, you know, okay, so my dad's dad and what did he do? And what did his dad and then what was, you know, what was my grandpa, you know, and like, what did, you know, what were these guys? Were they like... Knights of you know where they men of renown and all this stuff and it's like when yeah. when I, as i got older and about mitochondrial dna that's why i focused way more and as of even recently on my mother's side i'm like that doesn't even matter at all <laughs> none, yeah. none of that shit doesn't dad, matter sorry, at all sorry dad yeah sorry you uh, no, none of those yeah. guys that could have been the coolest guys the strong it could have been hercules for all i care none of that dna is going to die sorry you know i mean <laughs> Just not happening, you know I mean but why i mean I really would like to understand why, from a scientific standpoint, I mean, even if' a spirituality standpoint and and that's my belief i mean if you if you think about it that way, then something with the spirit probably transcends via the woman, and it's more connected to the 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 source, the mother goddess, you know um right, and more than the man's, you know the men the men are more like the Warrior, hunter gathered, nah, I'm going to beat this rock kind of thing. You know, um, I think we, the women are yeah. way more connected to the earth and the spirituality, you know. Not to say that all men, I'm just saying, but I think, you know, in general, you know, speaking as a man, well, and probably, I- probably guys are going to be pissed off at me for saying that too, but sorry, it's how it is. <laughs>
1: sorry, dude. This-
0: sorry, guys. But
1: is that- that's an interesting point, though, because so many different tribes, so many different cultures still pass on. You know, their lineage is passed on through the, the female <laughs> line and through the mother's line and in some tribes, it would be that when you got married, you went and you lived in the mother's mother of your bride's house. You know, yeah, because it was the mother that was the head of the household and that's who you married. And so essentially, I mean, for example, the Mayans, the Mayans were another tribe that, that, that did this, mm-hmm. that everything was matrilineal and some women were warriors you know they were some of the most renowned warriors in, in the tribe and i down there it, there's a lot of that going on you see a lot of that kind of reverence to the the feminine and to the, the bloodline going down through the females there's there's stuff everywhere all over the world that have those same traditions of it but it's just interesting to me and one of the points that was made i think in the same book i was talking about earlier was that they were able to know exactly who the mother was when the baby was you know popping out of them versus you know knowing who the father was because back then there wasn't you know maybe you weren't just having one husband
2: or, you
1: know. <laughs> so there's, there's a possibility you might not know who the child is, so obviously the lineage wouldn't be kept by the by the father, but you know who the mother is right you know, you, you, know, you, you got, you got
0: that down inside. for sure right yeah, there's yeah. no mistake <laughs> in that happening right. uh-huh. That's
1: another. That's a simple point, you know, that it it would be tracked through the mother because it's obvious who the mother is, but not who the father is. That much can be proven or said for sure. And it's weird. Makes sense.
0: Totally makes sense. It's weird that at some point that thing switched. Because when you look at it the other way, even just with the royals, I mean, you know, um, England or um, you know the whole that whole continent. I'm trying to. Sorry, I'm think I think the uh, my brain started to slow down in too many cycles here, but. You know, if you look at any type of aristocracy in Europe, that's where I was going. Europe, I couldn't think of the name here, but it's all through past through males. It's the first male born that descent, right. And that you know, was not always
1: but that has the child, and so that throws out some DNA. For example, I'm part of Clan Ramsey. Clan Ramsey does, as well as many of the different clans, they do their own genealogical project. Oh. but the genealogy, the, the DNA is so different from so many different Ramseys, and the reason being because you know, you might be married, but it's, it's tracked through the father, right? Right. But the mother might've been seeing the next door neighbor and the baby (laughs) could be her husband. Instead of being a Ramsey, it might be a, you know, St. Clair or uh, whatever. But it's, it's just weird to me that we don't still do that because it makes more sense. It's, it just makes sense when you know who the father is, that's great, but they didn't always know back in the day.
2: Right, right. So that's why
1: there's so many genealogical projects that aren't really adding up, like in Clan Ramsey. And adoption too. A lot of times, oh, right. people back then that couldn't, that couldn't conceive would would take in, you know, other children. Mm-hmm. Then it, they'd take the name and you pass that down, but they carry different DNA.
0: Right. At some point, that's got to get sorted out. I mean, DNA is so cheap now and so tested and, and so diverse, and the way that you can sample it. I mean, at some point, you're going to have to go. You, you know, all those all those stars are going to have to align at some point.
1: Yeah, but you might go back being so far as let's say I go back so far as being a Ramsey, but then based on my DNA, maybe at some point, one of my great, 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 great grandmothers, you know, who was married to a Ramsey actually had an affair with a McLeod or somebody else. And then I'm actually more, you know,
0: <laughs> McLeod than, or- than, than Ramsey.
1: So yeah. it, it's just interesting because you, you don't know exactly who your ancestors are for sure. You can look at the chart and say that looks nice and that's all good. <laughs> But, um, yeah you don't really know for sure, which is kind of kind of disappointing because I really take pride in knowing who my ancestors were and what they did,
0: yeah, yeah so well one one way you could probably do it is that whole negative blood type,
1: right right I mean, that makes sense
0: because uh while it is possible for um a negative and a positive couple to conceive a child it's mm-hmm. it's especially before they figured it out, it was very rare like the mother would reject the baby if it was not the same blood type, so throughout history. I mean, think about, I mean, I don't know what the percentage chances are to survive, but I mean, it wasn't very big. So you would have that preserved. So I would, I would just, I would just imagine that, um, you know, that, that would be a lot easier to trace because of, you know, okay, you got these one or two that are mixed. Okay, fine. But I mean, if you know that you're a negative, you're never like, you know, my wife and I are both the same blood type and our daughter's the same blood type. Okay, cool. So, if she meets some random guy someday who's the same blood type as her, you know, I mean, like how far can you ex- expound upon that forever, you know, yeah. it's really weird. And the thing that bothers me a little bit, I guess it's just, it is what it is, but especially in the coronavirus stuff, you know, I was looking up any type of data on negative blood type and the coronavirus. I was like, there's got to be some data, you know, because some of the some of the data started coming out that said that people with a blood type were more susceptible to coronavirus, you know, then, oh, and things like that. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I'm like, I wonder about negative blood type. No data. Because it's such a small, it's like 5% of the population. They're like, eh, well, whatever. It's just, it's like, how are you just throwing that out? How could it be like, can it be like nobody with negative blood type can is uh, susceptible to it? Or is it everybody with negative blood type is susceptible? Like, why are you missing that whole data set? But it's yeah. out.
1: It, so you're saying that they, you don't get the virus if you have a negative blood type or?
0: No, I was, I, there's no data to, to support that either way. Oh.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. You know, it's strange because for me, I was exposed to the virus. One of my really close friends, she was, this was last May and I had gone and spent the weekend with her. You know, we were, we're very close to each other. We're putting on makeup on each other, all up in each other's faces, sharing wine glasses, eating the same food. And uh, we went out to dinner, had a nice weekend and the same bed, of course. And that while I was visiting and then the day I left, she started getting sick, and the day after that, she tested positive for the, for the virus. Mm. And she had gotten it. Her boyfriend at the time, you know, who had also just just had just then tested positive. But I quarantined for a week, and then I took a test a week later, and I didn't get it. And we were sharing, sipping out the same wine glasses, sleeping in the same bed in the same apartment all weekend. Wow. So why would I? Why wouldn't I have gotten it?
0: I got a suspicion. You're probably at negative blood type. You don't know it. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> just a shitty theory I have. Yeah,
1: it's it's very possible cuz I really don't know at this point.
0: I don't know. It's just amazing, you know. I, I don't know. It's I think it's all tied to. So, let me ask you about the book. I love the book. Mm-hmm. When can people buy it? When are you going to when are you going to have that thing where it's like stamped out where I can put it on the shelf, you know.
1: Well, I need to just Hammer down and, and just get on it and get it finished. And I, like I said during the pandemic, so many things have been happening. I've been so distracted, and a lot of the research that I've been doing, I've been doing overseas. Yeah. So, you know, and obviously, I just have to do my research remotely and get that book finished. <laughs> I have a whole lot now, and I just need to actually type it. But I'm hoping, probably, maybe by the beginning of 2022, maybe January 2022. Oh wow! I'm hoping. to get it get it out there
0: it's gonna be hopefully hopefully the lady doesn't come back before then (laughs) because if she does then your book is going to change dramatically
1: (laughs) oh my gosh and then the difficult thing is like the more research i do the more it changes and the more things i want to go back and add in previous chapters it's like this never ending i'm like oh this is so cool i gotta put this in here and it's just constant it's never ending because there's so many great things that tie into you know everything else that is already in the book so I get so excited about things. I get distracted and I want to go back and write about that. And then it's like, I never actually finished the entire thing, which I just need to do and then go back and add things.
0: Well, you can but, always have you can, have, you can always have a, a different edition, you know, the enhanced true. edition after it comes out, you know, you know, the, uh, the updated enhanced edition. Yeah. And after I tell you, after sending all the Chris blood, so information, <laughs> you might have to add that in there. You yeah, know, I just,
1: might.
0: It's, it's just it's amazing. Like the,
1: the appearance. So, you know, I had like this, I think this this is in a whole a, a Lawrence Gardner book. And it was something about the holy bloodline of Jesus Christ. Really great read. It, it, it's a totally different take on the bloodline and the traditions. But it talks about, oh man, I just kind of lost it. We're talking about um gosh. Oh yeah. Uh, it. No,
0: it's okay about adding, I just had to say about adding the Chris Bloodstone story about the lady and then adding that whole story into Oh the-
1: yes, seeing the white lady. So yes, it, uh, what I was thinking of was the Virgin of Guadalupe. Uh, There is a a thing in there kind of talking about how this appearance of the Virgin or whatever was actually an appearance of the Magdalene. And it's talking about how through different generations that there was always, for example, we go back and we have uh, different gods and goddesses. Like we have Jesus and Mary Magdalene who Mm -hmm. represent, you know, all the Osiris and Isis. They represent Yahweh and Asherah. They represent all these different, you know, divine couples. But through the traditions or through each generation or through some kind of cycle, emerges a new Christ in Sophia, a new Jesus and Mary Magdalene, or a new Isis and Osiris that follows the tradition. It's like, that's part of the reason I think that Mary Magdalene was, was veiled was because she was, you know, she was to be protected because she was the royal wife, the royal incarnation of Sophia and, of the goddess. And that being said, she, if she is the only one that can carry on that bloodline of Christ, then yeah, she needs to be protected or of God in general. I mean, I guess if, if they are, you know that incarnation that is God, and that is a reason to keep track of a bloodline. But I think that the it talks about in the Gardner book. Getting back to my point, it talks about that the the Virgin of Guadalupe was actually like the that current in that time period, that incarnation of Magdalene. Right. She was wearing she's wearing green and red and white or something like that, and that's what the Magdalens always depicted wearing.
0: Yeah, that's what that's what my always uh, when I was getting into it, like Fatima, it came to like and the White Buffalo Calf Woman, and then the, the lady that came mm-hmm. saw Chris Bledsoe, so and like you know all these different apparitions, you know Guadalupe, all these things. Um, it presents itself to you in a way that you can understand it. Yeah, Be- because Chris, what and the thing with Chris is that he's not Catholic, you know, so he just he, mm-hmm. he doesn't know about the I mean the Virgin Mary, you know, he knows, but it's not as as prominent in the Catholic religion, right, for him. So it's like yeah. It, it didn't ring a bell. I mean, whereas, like, somebody who's a devout Catholic would have saw that and been like, oh, it's the Virgin Mary. Same thing right. with Fatima, you know? It's like, oh, these kids are, you know, Catholic. That's all they know. It's like, oh, it's the Virgin Mary. When it could be it's the same entity or spirit, whatever you want to call it, throughout history but in 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 a way that it makes sense to you. I don't know if that, that's, kind of, yeah. that's that was my interpretation. The same thing with the white buffalo calf woman. It's just, you know, the white buffalo calf woman. It makes sense because it's a white... You know a glowing white lady is
1: <laughs> right exactly exactly. and that's kind of one of the reasons i started having feelings this connection that she had to the magdalene whether it was just a spiritual connection because that spirit that you know the divine feminine in essence the goddess is sophia in all forms whether you say it's the virgin mary or it, it is magdalene or the white buffalo calf woman or however you recognize and call her it's still sophia the goddess mm. or you know, on the other hand, you have this divine entity that appears to you, a different, a God by any different name. It's all the same deity mm-hmm. when it goes, when it, you know, comes down to it. We have different names in different places and we see them because we imagine them in different ways, but they really are the same. And, and that's another thing is people, when I say that I'm interested in the goddess, they'll be like, well, which one? And I'm like, well, part <laughs> of it, it's all deity. It's all goddess. It's, it's all the same thing. It's just how different people perceive it. Yeah. And it's like same thing with religion. You know, some Christians, some the timeless war between Islam and Christianity, but we're <laughs> yeah. both praying to the same God. Allah is the same God that Christians pray to, and vice versa. It's
0: amazing. So,
1: I, yeah, it is the same spirit. I think when it when it really comes down to it, because it's the divine feminine and the divine masculine. The the, center, the beginning of life itself. Yeah, maybe it's actually the feminine that's beginning but the masculine part.
0: Yeah. No, I think you're right. <laughs> I think you're right. So how well, do you the
1: How do you concept, think... I'm really...
0: No, go ahead. I'm sorry. How do I think what? Well, I was just oh, going to say... Okay. How...
1: So I was just going to talk about... <laughs>
0: <laughs> how, do, how do what? Well, I was just going to say, how do you think Freemasonry and the Templars play, play the, the role that they do now and then? Like, what what do you think the current role is for the templars and the masons and the historic one
1: i think that a lot of masons join freemasonry to be social and to have buddies and to say they're a mason there you go there is like a few that are really serving the purpose and really carrying on the tradition and really diving into the mysticism the the tradition the symbolism i mean venus and a lot of the degrees of freemasonry venus and the goddess are at the at the heart of it Mm -hmm. and i think a lot of freemasons i've talked to freemasons i was about this that had no idea i was on a plane going to scotland and i was sitting next to this dude that i talked his ear off the whole flight from dallas to london and uh we were talking about this kind of stuff because he was a mason and he had no idea about (laughs) any of it and i just
2: couldn't
1: And he's from England. And so we got into this and I'm like, oh man, I'm sitting here schooling him on Freemasonry and he's a Mason or some of the traditions associated, obviously.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's just amazing to me that some people join this and they don't really have any, you know, desire to really learn what's at the core of it all. And that's disappointing to me. But of course there are some people that really do join to learn and really want to help preserve that tradition and help keep it alive. And, you know, it's, it's just like, there's a select few of people that really know, a a lot of what's going on because there's so much that is hidden from from the public from most people and certain people and certain traditions are trusted with this knowledge or trusted with certain documents or artifacts and I think today there are some people that are still really carrying on that tradition and maybe doing part of what they were doing before but I think that that purpose was to protect certain traditions and to honor them whether it might be about the bloodline Uh, I think the Templars we're trying to establish a new Jerusalem in America. I think that was their purpose at the time. They were trying to re- retrieve certain things from the Holy Lands that they right. could bring and establish a new Jerusalem here mm-hmm. with. And I think that's what their purpose was. And then the founding fathers did just that. So I think they were carrying on that exact purpose.
0: Haley, you're awesome. I'm so and happy so that you know all this today, stuff.
1: I don't know what the. Purpose.
0: No, that's it. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I mean, in my it's, mind, it's anyway, as it was anyway, like. It's like a- that's, yeah. that's what I think it is. Totally. But I mean, today I, I
1: couldn't really say. Anything.
0: No, you're right. There's a, there's a handful of I us. Mean, I today mean, it's just yeah. There's a handful of us that, that get in. Like you said, there's the majority of us are just going to like go out to dinner and, you know, hang out with guys that they, you know, and make friends. But there's a core group of, of, of guys that are, that get it. And, and that's not a very big group of people at all. And, um, you know, now you've got
1: me thinking, I'm like thinking today, what, what's the perfect day? You know, right. because if we've already established this America, what's the next step now? Now what's the purpose? Is it just carrying on those traditions and the knowledge that we already had? Or is there something new that we're working towards?
0: Yeah, those are, those are great questions. I think there's always that ever expanding quest for knowledge, you know. Um, I belong to a um, uh, right. a thing called the S, uh, um, SRICF, so uh, this uh, Rosicrucian branch, it's the um branch of Freemasonry so it's a Christian Rosicrucian branch of Freemasonry ICF. there's only about 4,000 of us on the planet and I didn't know it was real until I was asked to join and I was like wow and I'd been in Freemasonry for years when I met these guys I was like where the hell have you been it was a lot of the times it was guys that we'd I'd have these conversations that I'm having with you and they would look at me like I was (laughs) you know what are you talking about man I I can't figure this out right but these guys it's just like they get it, you know, and, and they're on that higher quest. It's, you know, it's actually called a college. So we, you know, write papers, we do lectures, you know, we learn, that's the whole thing about all this, you know, all these ideas and all this, a lot of it's been, you know, it's protected history or protected knowledge, you know, that we, we keep and we entrust with each other. Right. So that, that it keeps going and it doesn't die and it doesn't go away. So I think there's that. I mean, I don't know if it's just like, um, there's that, but you know, there's a lot of great things that come out of masonry, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's a little uh, at the top that I don't know about, but the guys that I met with and the guys that I do I'm involved with now, I mean, some of the things that I've learned about and then the ideas that we share and the way we, you know, do research together is just profound. It's just amazing. And that's kind of what I was looking for when I got into masonry. But yeah, if I didn't, if I wouldn't have got into that, it would just been like, Hey, we're going to have the, uh, pancake breakfast next Sunday, you know, and it's, that's just kind of what's going on. But <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah yeah they talk about the divine feminine, most of them would be like, What't you got in your coffee, buddy? Yeah.
1: <laughs> like, yeah. Just, yeah, and that's kind of the sad thing is like people join it, but they and for me, being a part of something like that are you so if talking you're talking about um the order that you're in are yeah. you familiar with Tim Hogan's collegia?
0: no, I'm not Tim Hogan's what was it calling again?
1: no okay Do you, are you you're familiar with Grandmaster Tim hogan, yes,
0: no. Tim Hogan. No? Nope.
1: Okay. Oh my gosh. You got to go look up Tim Hogan. He's a, he's a good friend of mine. We're actually planning a tour we, that we had to reschedule from December to probably sometime this fall. We're trying to figure out the dates now, but it's going to be a, a tour to Mexico and it's the exploration of the Kabbalah traditions within ah, Mayan culture.
0: Nice. That's very cool.
1: Yeah. So we're. We're working on that. And Grand uh, Grandmaster Tim Hogan is the Grandmaster of multiple different orders, but you should definitely check him out. He's written some books. Uh, I'll maybe I could bring you into the Templar Collegia. It's really cool, and it's basically cool. just sharing knowledge and uh, wisdom, and you know, learning. And they, I know we're having a get together in person finally this fall. Oh, right. Uh, which will be great in Colorado in Denver. Yeah. So, but anyway, no, he um, he is he's gotten some really great material written that I think he would really enjoy. Uh, so yeah, something to look into and then where were we going after that? We were talking about,
0: I don't know. (laughs) I was just saying how it, how it tied into the, to the divine feminine, the lady. And like, I think it's there. And like you said, the Venus and nobody even knows.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's just, it's amazing to me that so many people don't see that aspect of it. No, it's right there in front of them the whole time. You know, it's hidden in plain sight.
0: Yeah. I mean, in you know, for me, when I became a Freemason and all the things that I would seen my whole life, I was like, ah, all this stuff starts making sense now. All the symbology, all the way, mm-hmm. all these buildings, like all of the, you know, everything, even the stars above me, you know, all of this stuff makes way more sense now. It's like clicked, but some people just don't get it.
1: Yes. Yes. And so, you know, for so many reasons, there's like all these connections these things about Mary Magdalene and Jesus, and you could also go back and say Isis and Osiris and all the other divine couples that were, you know, God and goddess. One of the things I found interesting, um, this is kind of random, but the Telpiot tomb, do you know much about the Talpiot tomb? I don't. Okay, so actually a tomb that has been said to be the royal tomb of Jesus and his family. And
0: that's
1: ah. a, you know ongoing archaeological Oh,
0: there's a triangle there above several, the top of it. Ash- I yes. did see this. Yes. yes. Okay. Yes, yes, yes.
1: Yeah, and so um, also in there, one of the tombs was Mary Omne, the Mar, or something to that effect, Mary Omne Mar, something like that. And obviously, Mar has to do with the ocean and the waters, because in France, there's all these things dedicated to Mary of the sea. And it's the same thing, Mary, uh, you know, all that, it's, it's the connection between Mary Magdalene and the ocean is very strong, especially in France. And so if that was her title, and she was called that, no wonder why all these people, you know, associated her with these different, you know, there's so many baths, or I'd say baths, like, public ba- beach areas that are on the rivers and these baths, the, the springs that you can go bathe in that were considered sacred, like in the south of France or everywhere because Mary Magdalene allegedly had come there. But um, going back to the Talpiot tomb, the interesting th- thing to me about the Amenet was that if you look at the tradition of um, Amun and Amun-Ra in Egyptian mythology or theology, whatever you wanna call it, uh, his consort was Amunet, a M E N E T. But the French pronunciation of that is Amene. So you have Mary Amene in the Tapiat tomb. And to me, it was just further evidence that Mary Magdalene was literally the incarnation of the mystery god Amen's wife, Amenet. Mm-hmm. So that, that was kind of an interesting find. I'm kind of like, hmm, is this a coincidence? Probably not, because it never is. But it was, <laughs> it was a cool find for sure. And I think that tradition of the the couple, the divine couple, being the sun and Venus, constantly following each other, is really important. And we have even even in astronomy, we have these constellations. Like we end the age of Pisces, and Jesus was always associated with the fish. You know, the fish. He was the Fisher King. Yeah. And so when he dies. Then physically, in this well, in the story, we don't know if it was physically, but in, in the story in the Bible, it says he dies and then he appears to Mary Magdalene and basically says, Continue on my teachings, and then it's her time to shine. Right. Whereas when the, the age of Pisces ends, now Aquarius begins and it's the time for the Grail bear or Mary Magdalene, the divine feminine, to, t- to shine. And so you can look at it from a small scale, like in the Bible of that specific story, but also in the grand scheme of things, because Mary Magdalene, her her symbol in the heavens is for one Venus, the planet, but the constellation she's associated with is Aquarius. And maybe that's why she's also called the grail bear.
0: You are amazing. <laughs> you put a lot Thank of you. this <laughs> together. That's awesome. And you put it together really well, that it's easy for people to follow. You know, sometimes, get into some of these things and it's like really, really hard, but you, I mean, you can just have a good conversation and we, I mean, it's just really easy to follow and it, it makes sense. And it's exciting. I really appreciate your work. It's awesome. Thank you so much. Seriously.
1: Thank you so much. And I, I feel like there are so many little parts and different puzzle pieces like this. This is just a minor thing. It's not like some big, you know, revelation or anything, but there's so many minor things like that, that when you kind of think about it, in a different way, it starts to make sense. Like, I don't know why this, this was the case or, you know, why it was this way, but it also makes me wonder, you know, going back, to, I was talking about maybe there are different generations or different time periods when, um, because the, the, and going back to seeing the Virgin of Guadalupe and what Gardner said in his book, he basically says that the vision of Guadalupe was not just a vision, but that she was actually there. And the same thing I was going to mention about white buffalo calf woman We don't oh. know for sure, because things like playing the game, whisper, Fo- not yeah. whisper, Foam, when, phone, phone tag. Yeah. The amount, yeah. And you, you get something completely different at the end of it. So you put, you know, a thousand or two thousand or more years in the mix. And who knows what we have now? And so white buffalo calf Woman actually, that she appeared about 2000 years ago because they talked about the sacred bundle and, you know, when the sacred bundle was given and it was about 2000 years ago, about in the right time frame for it to be Mary Magdalene, you know? So I think it's possible that she could have been the one that appeared to them. And, you know, who knows who, who was that appeared as the, you know, maybe it wasn't an appearance of an apparition. Maybe it was a physical appearance of an actual person.
0: Right. And I think you, in your book as well said that, um, the person who holds the ceremonial pipe, the red pipe, um, yeah, it's sacred like bundle. Sacred bundle Seventh. it's like the 17th generation or something like that. Uh,
1: no, it's the 20th. We're almost I think maybe it's the 19th and we're almost at the 20th. And uh, to the Native American culture, each generation is about 100, 100 years. years right. At, about the 2000 years passing, nearly, cuz that would be around the right time frame.
0: That like makes sense. So it's I think we're I think time's up. <laughs> I think if I, if I do my math right, I think we're uh we're real close for that thing to happen again. So and you know, maybe she came to Chris Blood Cell. Maybe she's coming to people all the way and I and I don't think it's just one or two people. I don't I think that she's probably following people that have some type of bloodline relation that has before. We talked about this earlier on. Mm-hmm. Feel safe with that you can relate to. I mm-hmm. think the, I that think the, perfect sense to me i think the blood have scotch scott irish um history i think that um you know something that uh, i think they're looking into it now but um i think that there's probably a tie to all that because of the connection to the earth and you know you feel safe right like you said you go out to north dakota eh, nothing's gonna bother you here you're just gonna hang out you know yeah, um, yeah where you
1: feel safe and i think spirits are definitely drawn to you know, the places and people that they're familiar with, whether that's the blood or the location, or maybe it's both who knows, but I think that's definitely a, a good start to diving into that and where, where that spirit might appear next. I mean, it's just so fascinating to me that now we're in a time when people are starting to have visits from these orbs, these apparitions and the white lady herself, maybe yeah. she's going to start appearing to more of us. Like you said, I mean, I think all, everything that we, we have been going through as, as, you know uh, this whole world this whole this entire earthly community has been going through in the last few years it definitely has felt like something out of the book of revelation so
0: doesn't it it though
1: (laughs) yeah so i mean it wouldn't surprise me that for in order for one you know era to end or for one era to begin one has to end so i think that we're at that point where it's going to be a turning point and we are turning towards something better all this destruction and pain and suffering has had to happen for the you know to be able to begin something new it's like tarot when you get the death card in tarot it's not necessarily a bad thing it means that there's rebirth on the way right
2: yeah
1: so i think it's the same thing in reality too you have to have one thing to end for another to begin and maybe we're looking at that turning point where we go back to the divine feminine and she you know helps heal us and helps us get back to where we should be
0: Oh my God, that's perfect. I mean, from what you know, Chris was saying that the, the the lady said was that you know she's the protector, she's the mother, she's the healer, she's you know yeah. she's the comforter, she's there. That she's all, and you know this is really cool. From a lot of things he said, you know he's had some regressions, obviously, and things, and um, you know that she's always here. They're, they've never left. She's always been around us. We just need to call to her. I heard our angels are always here. You know, the angels, right. the angels, they're always, they're always here. And then you think about that and, you know, they're orbs and then that turns into UFOs and it's like, wow, is that the connection? Are they the watchers? Are they, are they always here? Are they connected to, they care about us more than we care to interact with them? You know, do we just need to open the door and say, Hey, cool. Thanks. I believe in you. You're here. I'm yeah. ready to have the conversation. Let's hang out. You know, I think, I think really I think that's it. I think that's more of people like you and I talking about this, your book, obviously, you know, me and my dumb YouTube channel, you know, just to get out and get information out and, you know, meet people and, and share this stuff and get it out there. I think it's totally part of the whole thing. Um, no,
1: absolutely. It's, this is all, you know, we're all doing the good work here and doing our part. You know to enlighten others and to help get them i think a, a big part of it too is energetically it's it's such a it, energy is such an important thing yeah. if you're not energetically in the space to accept that and to be open to that kind of energy that 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 sophia brings us that the divine feminine brings us then you're just not going to have it it's like you know people that want to see spirits, but they're not, they they don't open their energy to that. You have to be on that frequency and in the right mental and spiritual space to have those experiences. And once you like meditation is so important, you know, for that reason, when you're trying to have experiences with the divine, with deity, you have to be in the right space to do it. And so I think if more people really detach themselves from technology and from all the everyday craziness and focused on the spiritual stuff, I think that we'd be a lot more, um, functional society, and we'd be in a much better place, you know, we wouldn't have all the crazy drama in the world happening that we do now. Yeah, but I think we're on the way back.
0: To that. I, I really do hope so. I really do. I mean, it's, you know, it's hard for me to, I, I try to meditate, I, I, you know, I can, it's just, it's hard for me. But, you know, it's, um you know, and I, like, I, I think a lot of it's self induced, too. Because, you know, no lie, I've said this a lot in, 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 a, in a bunch of my videos. But when I was younger, I would see spirits, I would see ghosts and up into my teens, you know early twenties, I would see things and it would scare me you know it it just too you know it was too much and I met a lady named Chris Woodyard um, who wrote a bunch of books called Haunted Ohio. It was a haunted ohio series she 's got like ten of them now or whatever. Awesome lady. I was working a radio at the time and she came in during Halloween and we're doing like the whole ghost thing, you know. And I was actually having experiences downtown Dayton at this building that was 1800 Slaughterhouse. They turned into like a, oh. a radio, like a five-story radio station. But it was like where the train would come in and cars, you know, full of cattle and they would just kill cattle, you know, chop them up and whatever. You know, it was like a, a big thing. But I saw this entity all the time. It was this dark entity. It was always there. And it was just, you know, I've had. So you
1: saw you saw yeah, a dead cow outside or somewhere. You no, know, like or- people,
0: like uh, I was the dark oh, spirits, okay. and like you know, I was sleep paralysis and things happening in the building to me at times, and oh, really? I, you know, I was by oh, her. You- Go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: I was going to say. So, if they were slaughtering cattle, if that's the bad thing that was happening there, then what energy do you think would have been left from the people?
0: I don't know. To me, it seemed like. uh, it was like more like slave type time. So there was more like a, it wasn't necessarily, you know, it was, there's probably some really bad other things going on there as well. It wasn't just, that yeah. you know, cause I did see something like that, you know, um, 1700s, 1800s, like, but, um, you know, I talked to her about like off the air, just her and I in this room and I'm like, Hey, you know, I've been doing, you know, I, and you know, I was young and she's like, look, you can turn it off. And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, if you don't want to see it anymore, just turn it off. And I go, you just can't I go, like a switch? She's like, yeah, you just turn it off. I'm like, okay. She's like, if you don't want to see it, just when you see it or whatever, just tell it to go away and you're done. You just don't want to see it anymore. I'm like, that's that easy? She's like, yeah. So I was like, okay. You know, I'm like 20, 19. I'm like, all right, cool. Screw off, dude. Like, I don't want to see it anymore, whatever. And like, for the longest time, I didn't have any experiences anymore. It was, you know, it was like a switch and it's just that i got the older that i got the more i was open to it to be like oh, okay you know i'm not as scared you know i'm not as bothered by it or you know whatever else i know it's not going to kill me you know it's not going to you know the horror movies isn't real going to happen you know it's not going to come at me with a knife in the middle of the night you know like you know i can accept for accept it for what it is and open myself up to it and it it's it's been a lot harder to turn the switch back on than it was to turn it off
1: that is so interesting. You say that because I literally have had the exact same experience. You know, I think I was, I think I might've been 16 or I think I was 16 or 17 when I started having just like, I mean, I'd always kind of had those experiences, but at that point it was constant. Every night I'd be waking up, I'd see things. I would have these energies like sleep, you know, sleep paralysis. I would right. wake up and I'd see somebody on my chest or something. You know, I went through a period of time where it was just like hyper, I was so hypersensitive to, to, different spirits. yeah yeah, yeah it, it <laughs> me and i'm like go away i just want yeah. peace so i'd gone to somebody locally and talked to her about it and who you know did spiritual work and i she was actually a holistic healer and i talked to her about it i said i feel crazy i just feel insane and i just want this to stop i want it to stop i want peace i want to sleep and it's scaring <laughs> me and you know all of that and she she told me she's like well just turn it off but the yeah. same thing that you saying and i'm like well i can do that and she said well, of course you can <laughs> yeah. so I, I just didn't understand that you could do that really and i it was so simple like you said and yeah it's harder to turn it back on but oh, i yeah. will say one, one more thing i know we're probably getting close to time but oh, yeah, it's okay. but i went to uh, roslyn castle for the first time back in 2019 I actually you can rent roslyn castle and it's what? the ruins that you see at the very end of da vinci code you can and, rent like that? at the very end yeah. So at the very end, you see he walks up and says something to her. Um, Tom Hanks says something to Sophie. To, her name's Sophie. Go figure. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, figure. Uh, right. Yeah.
1: A bloodline member, right? And so they're just outside Rosalind Castle, but that's the ruin you see in the background. And she kind of, he makes a comment to her about, can she turn water into wine? And she dips her toe in the pond. It's not really actually there. They put it there for the movie, by the way. <laughs> and then she says, no, not yet. Or... No, something like that. But that is Roslyn Castle, and I rented that. And you can rent it. I, it. I had no idea. It's not advertised because it's still used as the family home. The Earl of Roslyn and his wife still go and stay there for time periods, you know? So it's their personal home that you can actually rent. It's like an
0: Airbnb. Family. You can Airbnb the Roslyn Castle. Practically.
1: practically <laughs> so- what do I do? I go and I, you know, rent it for like three nights and four days alone. <laughs> so I'm staying in this like castle alone. All
0: by yourself? Really? <laughs> hey, yeah, so, that's not a good so. idea. I don't know if that's not a good idea.
1: <laughs> well, I could lock. I, there, it was cool. They give you like an actual key and it's like a big castle key, you know? And, I'm, like, oh, cool. and so you get to lock yourself in at night. And so that's what I did. I was just surrounded by the castle walls. And, uh, you know, the, the lady that gave me the key up at the chapel had told me, you know there's a story about a white lady that appears to people and um of course she said the white lady can be heard singing at midnight and she she sings a song about where the treasure of roslyn is buried and she said so if you if you're up at midnight listen for her to sing well, so i wait up and you know i turn off all the lights and i'm going to bed and i'm kind of terrified because <laughs> things like imagining things and you know what did I just hear do I hear singing is that not singing and then I start hearing something else entirely and I start hearing the sound of like metal clinking and screaming and shouting and I'm like what am I hearing and it wasn't coming from in the castle it was coming from outside just down in Roslyn Glen on the river in the river like in the river area so I'm thinking what is going on and I thought maybe it's like a bunch of teenage kids getting into trouble and getting drunk down there or something you know fighting. that's the, only- right. fighting. I, that's the only- think of well you know it kept me up for about maybe an hour and then finally i had taken some you know night you know nighttime sleep pills to knock myself (laughs) out and i was i was gone i was in dream world but the next morning i got up and i went for a walk through roslyn and i was walking down this path and there is a memorial to the battle of roslyn and so I started reading it, and it turns out that, you know, I think it was in 1302 or 1303, so it was in the early 1300s. One of the Scottish Independence Wars was uh, during the Scottish Independence Wars, the Battle of Roslyn took place. And it was a really interesting story because actually there was only 5,000 Scots, and there was something like 25,000 Brits Whoa. that, you know, came and were defeated by this 5,000 Scots, even Whoa. though they were outnumbered. You're never going to guess how this war got started. It was actually, or this battle got started actually over a Ramsey woman from down the road at Dalhousie castle. <laughs> and yeah. And I thought, well, this is fitting. So I started reading this. I thought I can't make this up. You know, I'm reading, I'm like, I'm, I'm reading this and it's talking about how this lady Margaret Ramsey from Dalhousie was in love with sir. It was, it was a St. Clair. I think it was a William St. Clair, but she was in love with St. Clair and he was equally infatuated with her and At the same time, there was another person that was madly in love with Lady Margaret Ramsey. That was the, I think the governor, the commander of the Edinburgh, yeah, Edinburgh Castle. I think he was the governor or something like that. Anyway, so he was the the British, the English post there at the time. Oh, of course really wanted to marry Margaret Ramsey. And so he'd go over to Dalhousie Castle, the castle I was telling you that I just stayed in for several months that helped me with my tour company. Um, <laughs> he had gone over there and would wine and dine them and, you know, try to win over Lady Margaret Ramsey. But her heart was with the St. Clair. So oh, one day, wow. the Clair, I want to say it was William, but I can't remember for sure. But he proposes to Lady Margaret and she says, yes. And I think that same day when they're announcing their proposal, she actually knights him at Roslyn. There's a big ceremony for it. So Lady Margaret Ramsay knights him. So this gets back to the Englishman. And he was his name was John something. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a very yeah. So John Smith. A, <laughs> no, I'm trying to think it was not a remarkable name, but it wasn't great either. I can't think of it off the top of my head. But in any case, he finds out and he is so angry that this woman that he loves has, you know, promised herself to the St. Clair, to the Scotsman, you know. And so he writes to the king of England and asks for permission to march. On Scotland, so he the king grants it. He says, "Sure, go on." You know? <laughs> so they go out. They go out and three different places. There's three different armies. So they have an army going over to roslyn Yeah, and then they have an army going to Dalhousie Castle, and then they have an army going, I think, to the west and somewhere west. And they are aware because people have written back, or the writers have come back and said, "We see them coming." You know, this is what's going on. blah, right. blah, blah. blah some time to, to you know prepare for this and so the saint Clare's having the close ties to the templars wrote to one of the or wrote over and asked one of the veterans of the holy wars a templar veteran to help them out and so he was over i don't think it's there anymore the, the priory that he was at but he takes some of his men and he goes over to join the saint Clare's and he says here's some of our templar battle tactics, tactics from you know, the Holy wars yeah and so they use some of those strategies to help defeat the Brits, the English. And so when the English marched on them, and there's this really cool story about how the prior, the, the Templar veteran, had taken everybody up on this hill just across from Roslyn, and they, they lit up this fiery cross that you could see from Roslyn Castle, and the, he was giving them this pep talk about how they're going to defeat, you know, the English, and it's God's, you know, it, that's what, it's God's plan that they're going to win this, and it's in the divine plan. He's hyping them up about this, this battle and telling them they're going to win, and then they see this fiery cross, you know out in the distance, which is kind of, kind of intense. But, uh, when the English get there, they're defeated. So there's about 5,000 Scots, about 25,000 English people, and somehow they managed to defeat them. They know the terrain, you know, they have the advantage of the battle tactics of the Templars. Uh, yeah. So only 10% of the English people walked away from that battle. Wow. And one of the people that survived, but was captured was the Englishman that had been in love with Lady Margaret Ramsay. So obviously the St. Clair had him ransomed back to the English, you know, English crown. And that they got married and lived happily ever after, at Roslyn. So that was one of my ancestors. <laughs> the, the, the battle was fought over. I thought uh, that was pretty neat. And I thought when I, after I read that, I'm like, oh, I got chills down my spine. And I thought, you know what? I didn't you heard hear that last down. night. I heard the battle that was fought over one of my ancestors. That probably my ancestors from Dalhousie fought into the other Ramses, St. Clair's. You know, I just thought that was really amazing.
0: It's like you. Te- it's like I swear that your DNA is connected that way like somehow that like you you,
1: have ancestral memories and there was something disproven about it recently about um ancestral trauma and ancestral memories being passed down because trauma from your ancestors literally there was some article i was reading about this that they've proven that trauma from past you know from ancestors can affect you in this lifetime
0: yeah well i i think it was like seven generations believe it or not is uh, I think it's gone back. I think you can. Well, after seven generations, it's an inherited trait. I know that, which is crazy, yeah. right? So, like seven generations yeah. back, if like your grandpa got bit by a spider and it, and, it, and his arm fell off, like you, mm. you're you're scared of spiders for the rest of your like that's it. You're done. <laughs> like if it goes yeah. back like that, you know what I mean? That that's kind of how that's that's yeah. how that length goes. But yeah, ancestorly and it goes back. And I've said this in a couple of things before, and I hate saying it, but that's the way I felt. I love my daughter to death. I would have never, ever do anything to her, you know uh, to say this, but I, I, I've said this before. But before I had her, I always thought that um, the DNA of all my ancestors was was with me. If I procreated, my DNA would still be here, and I'd be tied to Earth and here again. But if I didn't, yeah, I could go back. And that was my ticket back. So yeah. if I. So if I didn't do it, I was like, eh, I'm free. I get to go back and I'm not tied here anymore. Like I said, I love my yeah. daughter completely. I would never change it again for the, you know, the planet. But I was like, that was my theory. And I don't know where I came up with that. It just came to me when I was like, well, if I don't have any kids, I don't have to stay here. Like, I, you know, my DNA is done. I'm gone. I'm out, you know, but
2: yeah.
0: uh, <laughs> and go back and hang out. But like, no, I, I wouldn't change it at all. But that but was just a weird thing that I've always felt. And I don't know. Seems odd. It was in, in doing my genealogy, it was really odd that my, on, on my mother's side, um, there was four or five sisters, and only one out of the five got married and had kids. All the rest of them, they called them old mates. They never got married, never had kids.
1: Really? That is interesting.
0: Really weird. I, I yeah, asked my-
1: so I guess if you hadn't had kids, then...
0: And because of that, because of the mitochondrial DNA, right? Because before in my mind, I was like, well, you know, you know, I'm the last of my name um, that I know of because I don't have any, there's no males anymore from the Majorowski side. Um, And and it was a big deal because my wife was like upset. She's like, oh, we had a, you know, we had a daughter. And I'm like, you know, I was like, ah, the family name. But now that I know, it doesn't (laughs) doesn't matter at all. The DNA is there, you know. Right. Stay there forever. But I don't know. I know this is late and we went way over, but dude, this has been really awesome. Thank you so, so much. I
1: really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh my
0: God. Can we talk again sometime? Seriously, this has been rad.
1: Please, please. I would love to. I'm sure there'll be plenty more to talk about.
0: Oh, yeah. I know when when the Wi-Fi come to Scotland, we'll have to do like an on location.
1: <laughs> yes, that would be so much fun. I would love to do that. With and, the- you know, I've always thought about starting like a video blog or doing things like that at different sites. But I just when I'm there and I'm at a site like that, I just I'm enjoying it so much. I just never think to do something like that.
0: No, totally. I mean, when you're in the moment, I think there's something to be said that that's like the, the guy that's like videotaping the concert in front of you on his phone. And he's like, yeah, it's like, dude, enjoy like you're here. Enjoy it, you know. I mean, cool yeah. because I couldn't make the concert, and I'm I really thankful for the guy who did that that I'm watching. But like the yeah. guy that's there, <laughs> you know what I mean? The guy yeah. that's there that like that's his job, like that's what he's doing. Like, dude, enjoy the moment. And I really think, but maybe you can do like the both. Maybe somehow there could be the best of both worlds because I think there's so many people that can't afford to go there, you know, won't be able to you know no. travel and things like that that would probably really enjoy the experience, especially your experience because of all the things that you're experiencing when you're there and being able to convey that and you do it so well and I think that'd be awesome. So, dude, I, I think just keep doing what You're doing, and, and thank you so much for like uh, spending your time with me and, and chatting with all this stuff. And, and, uh, I, I nothing but love. And hopefully, this book skyrockets and, and your future is amazing. And hopefully, I get to ride those coattails one day and be like, I know, I knew her, I know that girl, she's awesome.
1: Thank you. I hope so too i hope i can just buckle down and get this book done because that's what i really need to do and uh yeah we gotta definitely we gotta think about doing those tours and maybe even do like on location you know videos like you were talking about that'd be super cool someday your yeah. wife and i can bond over, you know outlander and how you know handsome jamie fraser is oh and-
0: my god i gotta hear about that more she wants me be- so like <laughs> I, got, I got friends that i talk to from england now and then she's just like you know she'll stop what she's doing she's like what just listen to their accent. And then she, we have, she's yeah. Pelot, she Peloton, you know? So she's like, now she just, all she does is listen to the guys with the English accents <laughs> Peloton. <laughs> and Peloton. I'm like, well, I
1: can't believe- definitely
0: have to say you know i prefer the scottish accent over the english any day i agree there you go Uh, no i you know uh, she's not gonna get me to do it (laughs) it would be horrible and just a crappy rendition of it so i'm not gonna go there
2: yeah yeah.
0: but you know what it just dawned on me you were talking about the burning cross that was in one of the outlander things didn't jamie like burn a big cross on a thing and like and to get everybody ready for the yeah
1: yeah, he did the exact same thing. Yeah. So when they were going to retrieve Claire after she'd been taken, he said, yeah. you know, this is war. And that's when he burns the fiery cross. He said he wouldn't burn it again unless it was time for war. And right. so that's ex- he ha- that and hyped everybody up for it that's exactly what he did yeah. same thing but that tradition going back they didn't always burn crosses sometimes it was a cross sometimes they would burn like wooden you know for ceremonies they would burn different things or for before wars they might burn an animal you know not not a really animal but like it was an like, effigy you know, of an
0: animal like a like a deer yeah, or something yeah. or like, yeah yeah,
1: yeah. was a tradition of burning the stag you know I they got, did that yeah. a lot yeah so that kind of thing but that's that's an interesting point i haven't made that connection they they did do that in outlander too that's really cool
0: yeah see my wife, my wife better listen to some of these every once in a while. She's she has a big influence. She doesn't even know. Yeah. <laughs> Haley, so have you guys so asked to
1: ask more questions?
0: Have yeah, yeah, you yeah. guys
1: watch the Men in Kilts that has the actors from Outlander in it?
0: No, no, I haven't yet. I, I told her we should watch it. And it was just, you know, she was like, ah, what is it? I go, I think it's just the actors hanging out, going through Scotland. Right. I think that's the premise Outland. of it. Right.
1: Yeah, so they're definitely just you know traveling around Scotland, drinking whiskey, finding trouble, learning about history, and doing different things. And blast. the last episodes were only thirty minutes each, so you really don't have to commit for too long. I wish they were longer because right when you get into it, they're ending. Uh, but I'm hoping, I am hoping that I can do something with them potentially on a you know Outlander tour. Nice. You know. I'm- trying to work on that because I think it would, they wanted, they in their, they wrote a book called clan lands and in the book they talk about, you know, starting a tour company, but they don't Uh. have time to do it. hmm, Well,
0: uh, somebody who's already uh, spent some time in that kind of came up with it then.
1: Yeah, so I don't that'd know. Be that'd be rad. really fun if it, if it worked out. But I am putting together Outlander tours that hopefully I can start doing. You know, in 2022. So Dude, that's, that's gonna really be so, fun regardless.
0: that's going to be so rad. I know we're going to probably be the first tour. I'm just telling you right now. <laughs> <laughs> please, please. Because <laughs> I'm because I, I love it enough, but I'm still disconnected enough that I could be the videographer. I could be like, okay, cool, yeah. what? <laughs> yeah, and then definitely. when we get to the Templar side, I can just give the camera over to somebody else and be like, okay, now I'm paying attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: yes yes and there's just so many more sites like that once once i started really diving into it there's so many sites that are not talked about for being templar sites like for example i got a shout out to um one of my good friends at peter and peter runs the mary cooter house in scotland and it's in aberdeen on the east coast and mary cooter house is actually a 12th century knights templar preceptory.
2: wow one of two
1: you know, preceptories in scotland the other one is belantra or temple church down in midlothian down by roslyn mm-hmm. that's like you know in ruin now obviously it doesn't exist anymore but the mary cooter house um it's a very nice hotel now and they've got great food i've spent a lot of time there and peter and i are actually working on a you know tours together incorporating both the templars and the jacobites we didn't even get into the jacobites and the templars and that's a whole another thing that's super interesting charles edward stewart himself was the grand master of the knights templar in scotland but um yeah so the mary cooter house is really cool too it's it's a i had no idea about it i read about you know, Mary Cooter, but basically the way that the author had stated it in the books that I read was that it was in ruin, but it's a functioning luxury hotel that you can go <laughs> And it's, it's awesome. Peter reached out to me because he saw one of my paid advertisements for my, you know, Night on a Girl Quest tours on Facebook. And that's, that's how cool. we got in touch. He invited me to come stay up there for a few days. And one of the workers even said to me, you know, Peter told us he met this girl on Facebook and invited her to come up here. And <laughs> he <laughs> now we're like this we, you know working together and it's great i mean the best connections are just totally random like that and by chance so just like us got, yeah exactly exactly so i'm really thankful for that and um i gotta tell you next time about what we did we ended up having some really interesting paranormal experiences at the templar preceptory
0: really so
1: let's talk about that next time
0: definitely oh my god now i'm excited was there orbs
1: no no no
0: I'm still excited. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, well, it was it was really cool. It freaked out the staff. The staff was the it, it, Peter got the entire um, you know senior management team to come up there and be a part of it. And we went into the haunted room of Mary Cooter. If if, uh, if you guys go to Scotland, we'll have to go and you know do like some ESP in the haunted in the room. The
0: haunted room. Oh boy, that's all we need. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna move, we're is, gonna end up awesome. buying a castle in Scotland. I can see Please, it now. I
1: want. To- I would love that. You can buy I, a scat
0: Castle, can't you? Okay? You got to be able to. Can you? Can you yeah, buy a yeah, Can you buy that? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely, yes, one hundred percent. You can buy castles and fix them up and all that stuff. And you know, actually the other castle, Dalhousie Castle was the original seat of Clan Ramsay in Scotland, but um more recently it was sold and they bought Brecon Castle. That was the other family seat of uh Clan Ramsay. <laughs> and so Brecon Castle is a little bit further away, it's a little bit more northeast, and now the current Earl of Dalhousie, I believe. His name is Jamie also, Jamie Ramsey. And-
0: <laughs> of course his name is Jamie. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a very popular name there in Scotland, actually. There's so many people <laughs> that know their name Jamie, it's unreal. But um, no, he is the, he is the, I'm losing my words. He is the clan, <laughs> he is the clan chief of, you know, of the Ramsey clan. And they live there at Brecon Castle, but it's for sale now. Because, you know, there's a lot of cost in running a massive castle like that. And they have a whole <laughs> staff and everything. So I guess if they sell the castle, the staff comes with it. I mean, I'd love to be waited on like that and have a whole staff to run my household. But um, maybe one day we can buy it back for Clay and Ramsey. There you <laughs> go. Know, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Tours will so be successful be enough show. that you could do it. It'd be rad.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's castles for sale. Believe me, that one would just be like, I think it's like 8 million pounds or something. So kind of out of my price range for now. <laughs>
0: It's like sixteen million dollars, <laughs> so,
1: something like that, something 14, absurd.
0: Fourteen fifty, yeah, something. I don't know. Maybe in Bitcoin, we can make it happen. <laughs> <I wish. Someday. laughs> thank you, for, thank you so much again. It's been so awesome. I mean, thank you for spending so much time with me, and you know, thank you, thank you again. I, I wish you the best, and, and hopefully, the book comes out and it's huge, and your tours are, and everything, and anything I can do to help. And please, please come back and hang out with me and talk to me some more.
1: Definitely. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me on. It was a blast.
0: Thanks.